Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. And welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. I'm Jess. Hi, I'm uh, Matt as well as a uh, very proud member of the team here. And it is good to be back. This is the first episode we're recording since our holiday break. Mm. Hope you had a great Krishmish and a happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that weird, but um, it is going to be back in the same place as you two. We, we all spread across different states. Mm. I got recognised in Tasmania. I bought a book, and uh, the uh, woman behind the counter said, "What uh, what brings you down here?" And I said, oh, "I'm just down for the holidays." Wait, how do you know I'm down here? How do you know I'm a local? Hang on a second. I like yeah. I first, my first instinct was. I don't. Do I not fit in around here? Yeah. Am I, what, Am I dressed do I weird? Look like a tourist. <laughs> you don't look like you come from these parts. Were you wearing your Melbourne t-shirt and your Melbourne shorts yeah. and your Melbourne hat? We all get them. Yeah, and I had a big camera around my neck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you buying like a map of the city? I was buying a map of the city. <laughs> oh, I was you... asking for directions. Yeah. I said I'm not from around here. <laughs> oh, what brings you down here? Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, I must be an out of town. Yeah, I'm not a local then, huh? Just because I've never been here before. (laughs) Anyway, it's just very cool. Very cool bookstore there. Any bookstore is a cool bookstore. I've been at that store a few times as well. Uh, But first time I'd been (laughs) recognised. Dave, where did you get recognised over your holidays? Uh, Just before the break, I got recognised in a Bunnings. (laughs) Okay. That's fun. That was cool. I was really hoping you had nothing for that. (laughs) uh, um, Fuck, have I been recognised? But apart from that, over the holidays, absolutely no recognition and shame on you all. Yes. Come on. Yes. 
<laughs> okay, I'm going to tell an embarrassing story. Okay. We uh, didn't pry. <laughs> you sort of like, you we'll said that like, all right, pause. twist my arm. <laughs> Matt will die of um, shared shame in this. You'll cringe so oh, hard. No, but secondhand embarrassment. I Incoming. was um, <laughs> at a fish and chip shop last year and I made my order and then I went out because I said it'd be 10 minutes. So I said, I'll just walk around the block and I came back in and there was a guy sitting there and he goes, excuse me, are you Dave? And he was wearing like a high vis. Clearly didn't work there. And I thought, all right, man, here we go. All right, here we go. And, and then I said, yes. And he goes, oh, they just called your name. <laughs> I've never felt more like so. I was so embarrassed. Such that my first instinct was, this guy knows the podcast. But at least you didn't say. Yeah, Always nice I, to meet a fan. I I thought you had a pen out ready yeah. with a headshot. I, uh, I thought you were saying no pictures, yeah, please. No. All right. Who do I make this one no, out to? All not, right, here we go. I will not kiss your baby. <laughs> it was, yeah, they just called your name out. I was like, oh, oh th- thanks. Cool. My fish and chips are ready. <laughs> Why didn't I? Th- that is probably, that is a better result, really. Yeah, to be yeah. fair, yeah. And I get the fish and chips. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, and that was quite nice of him. I mean, to he, be fair, if I was a, working at the fish and chip shop, if I was having a bad day, I'd be like, all right, mate, I'll fucking do that if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, that's right. I don't need your help here. But if you're having a great day and that's a nice person, you'd be like, oh, what a nice guy. But if I'd said, oh, I'll wait till they call it. Thanks, mate. Yeah. So you'd look like a psycho. Oh, wait. <laughs> I don't trust you. No, thank you. Because you're so burnt from not being recognised. <laughs> yeah. You turn on him. Yeah. <laughs> no, fuck you. <laughs> I said, fuck you, sir. No, fuck you. And he's just sitting there like, oh, I just didn't what? I just didn't want your chips to get cold because yeah, yeah. I'm a nice person. Hmm? Well, you could have listened to last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dave, for new listeners in this new year, uh, do you want to explain what the show is? I know you've put out the call for people to um, put it into music, into a jingle, 60s style, sitcom style. Yes, we'd love that. I said style too much then. No, it's fine. Uh, and we do have a few more in the bank. I just don't have one uh, locked and loaded today. So can you do a spoken word version? All right. Uh, there's three of us here. We take it in turns to report on a topic suggested by a listener more often than not. It is Matt's turn to report on a topic. Jess and I have no idea what he's about to tell us about. And we always start with a question. That was actually oh, pretty that good. That is pretty good. Speed run. So if anyone wants to put that into a 60s-style, sitcom-style mm. jingle. Or, uh, well, or if they could get like William Shatner to read that out or yeah. something. And send it through to... Uh, to go on pod at gmail.com. Anyway, like Dave said, uh, it is my report today and I will start with a question. I think it's a pretty easy one. Let's see how you go. What event started the convention of adding the suffix gate <laughs> to signify a scandal? I don't understand that question oh, at right. all. Uh, the answer is Watergate. Oh, oh <laughs> Gate. <laughs> I got, for some reason, suffix there to me was just Suffolk, the place. <laughs> okay. And so I was like, there's a gate in Suffolk that has something to do with it. Got you. Watergate. Okay. Su- Suffolk's the plural of Suffolk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm really looking forward to hearing this report. I don't know too much about the original one other than like the two-sentence probably summary. But last what about week- from Forrest Gump? Oh, it's referenced in Forrest Gump. Oh, I don't remember the reference. What happens? Um, Forrest is staying in a hotel and he sees people with uh, uh, flashlights in the building opposite and he, like, calls someone about it because it's distracting him or it's, like, keeping him. <laughs> oh, so it's implying that he was the one. Right. Okay. Right. I. Uh, it's probably referenced in We Didn't Start the Fire. Probably. Probably most things are. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I I did not know much about it either. Put it up to the vote. It won in a in a landslide. Yeah, about sixty percent or just over sixty. Will there be an vote. investigation? Vote gate. Uh, then maybe there should be. Someone hacked the system. Votergate. But it was, it was quite coincidental because there was a similar landslide vote um, in the story. But this was suggested by Nesta Guerrero, Tim Randall, Jared Brazil, Kevin Packrad, Baylor Robert Barnard, Marcus Brisman, and Alexandra Rogers Brassington. Oh, what a great crop of names. Incredible. That sounds like a Suffolk name to yeah. me. I don't understand. I do not understand the question one bit. <laughs> Sorry. But you know how they call everything something good? <laughs> Absolutely. Gay. Yes. I totally get it now. But I, I did. It was not just my it. enunciation of some of those words. And possibly as I was reading it, I was doubting that it made sense as well. So maybe you um, took on some of that. Yeah, I am an empath. Yep. I also have not had more than six hours sleep in five weeks. So. Yeah, that's is not that a in, good run. To- in total. Yeah, in total. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Were you sleeping like one hour every three days? Yeah, it's not a good plan. I just stay awake. <laughs> that, oh, at that night. was your plan, though. <laughs> yeah, I stay awake. <laughs> And then every three days I sleep for an hour. Well, it's actually half an hour every three days. That's awful. Yeah, it's, it's not a good idea. Should I up it to one hour? Yeah, or every if three you want to be a coward. Or ten minutes a day if you wanted to Yeah, it's probably better. Power nap it through. Anyway, so my brain, no walk, no good. Um, all right, well, good news. Did you say no walk, yeah. no good? Oh, no. Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, no. Dave, I'm going to be relying pretty heavily on you <laughs> yeah, today. it's fantastic. Probably, probably a good call. Uh yeah, it is like it's a it's a big story. It's too big for one podcast. This mm. would be there'd be full podcast series about this, I'm sure. Um, and yes, a lot of great references if people want to read more about it. I've been reading, or you know, with my ears, <laughs> reading the audio book, um, all the all the president's men, which is what a lot of this report is based on. Parts of it is. I was actually trying to summarize the whole book at one point. And I, I got to the end of the first chapter, and that's a you know a good third of the way through my report. Wow, it's, See, it's dense. It's yeah. dense with a lot of stuff. So I skim past a lot of things, you know, like you have to do on a comedy historical podcast. <laughs> yeah. See, book cheat isn't as easy as everyone thinks it is. <laughs> yeah. No one cares about book cheat. <laughs> I just had a micro nap, Jess. I saw you did too. Well, you have to knock that off your three day total. <laughs> no one, no one thinks about book cheat. Oh, well, I do. <laughs> Unfortunately, no one, no one else in this room gives a fuck about Putin. <laughs> so thanks so much for thinking. We go, wow, book cheat's easy. We don't think about it at all. Do you want to be on the next episode? Okay. okay. Can I? <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, new year. Every second year. That's on, right. You've got 12 months off, mate. All right. After being on 90 episodes last year. Fair enough. All right, let's get into this report. Um, So the Watergate scandal gets its name from the Watergate office building, one of six buildings in the Watergate complex in the Foggy Bottom neighbourhood of Washington, D.C. Foggy Bottom. Foggy Bottom. Probably didn't need to mention that neighbourhood, but... Um, Foggy Bottom. Foggy Bottom. What's their mascot at the high school? Foggy Bottom High School. And their fart. Their mascot is a fart. But like a like a brown gas is seeping out. And some shorts. Yeah, like they've even got like an animated version on the lawn. You just say, and nobody wants to be in that mascot oh, uniform. No. Oh no, I've drawn the short straw. If you get a detention, that's what you have to do. Six weeks foggy bottom. Foggy bottom. Go bottom. (laughs) (laughs) That's dumb. 
So early in the morning of June the 17th, 1972. A foggy morning? It was a foggy morning. <laughs> uh, so really just after midnight, mm. Watergate security guard Frank Wills noticed that a latch on one of the doors in the building had been taped over to stop it from locking properly. This wasn't in any old section of the building either, but where the Democratic National Committee's headquarters was located in the Watergate office building. All the president's men, that book I was talking about before, book detailing the events of Watergate, described it as an odd place to find the Democrats, the opulent Watergate on the banks of the Potomac in downtown Washington was as Republican as the Union League Club. Its tenants included many key Republican figures, plus many other prominent figures of the Nixon administration. Um, I, do, I, I should have looked up how to sp- uh, pronounce Potomac. Apologies for... Washington, D.C. people. Potomac. Potomac, 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 Potomac. Don't leave that car just sitting in a heap. Come to Potomac. Is that pick apart? Yes. Sorry, just... The futuristic complex with its serpent teeth, concrete balustrades and equally menacing prices. I looked it up. Those prices were like... It was a hundred grand at the time for a two-bedroom apartment which is now about 650,000. It's like, well, it sounds in an opulent yeah. area. Two bedroom apartment for 650? You're not doing you're doing pretty well. Oh boy. Um yeah, tell two you bedroom what, apartment. Tell you what these bloody these boomers back then. Jeez, they had they were, good. were they kids then? What were the boomers what? doing? Bought, anyway. bought their first home for a bloody uh, bag uh, of bread. A bag of bread and a bloody garlic oh, naan. Yeah. I'll throw it. <laughs> <laughs> two different kinds of bread. Have you got two loaves of bread? Well, I've got one loaf and one garlic naan. I'll take Sold. it. <laughs> Brilliant. Love garlic. Uh, but apparently the, the complex had become the symbol of the ruling class in Richard Nixon's Washington. Uh, anyway, so that's just setting up. It's just, it doesn't really matter, but it's interesting that it's a slightly strange place for the Democrats, but that is not at all relevant apart from maybe a point of interest. Hmm. I'm looking at you, Jess. Saying, and I'm getting it. Yeah, you're interested. <laughs> you know I understand politics. Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, we all understand it. We get it. We get it. Uh, so Frank Wills, the security guard, removed the tape off the latch, not thinking much of it. But when he returned and found it taped again, he realized something fishing, <laughs> well, yeah. fishy was afoot. Hang on, am I in some sort of <laughs> Just For Laughs prank video? <laughs> <laughs> am I being punked? Hello. You are, part of you would be like, hey, did I not? Yeah. Remove that tape. Anyway, he was way quicker than that. He goes, something weird's happening. I'm calling the cops. And people have said since then, if he didn't think so quick, a lot of people would have gone, whatever, or I'll call my supervisor and we'll figure it out. But because he called the cops, this whole ball got rolling. Wow. Uh, the police who responded to the call were three plainclothes officers in an unmarked car. These officers, Sergeant Paul Leeper, Officer John Barrett, and Officer Carl Schoffler were <laughs> dressed as hippies working the so-called bum squad shift. That's what they called it because they were dressed like hippies, like bums. To go undercover. To go undercover, yeah. They were really just patrolling the streets for drug-related crimes. Right. You Dylan? Yeah, hey. Hey, hey want to get a want to get buzzed? Hey, me and two <laughs> of my friends over here, clean-shaven young men, <laughs> would like to get buzzed if that is quite all right with you. Hello, fellow bum. <laughs> I am also a bum. Hello. I do not have a house, nor <laughs> oh, a wife or children. I require illegal, illicit substances. <laughs> Please speak into this microphone. <laughs> well, I think they, these cops, did, they lent in a fair bit. One of them described their look as sort of a, 
uh, uh, young Charles Manson. Oh, that's a weird not a reference. Good look, no. <laughs> weird reference to give. That's how he saw himself. Um, and so they've rocked up. So the, the security guard's like, "I'll have to call in the big guys." <laughs> and then three quote unquote hippies turn up, and yeah. he's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. So the policemen walked down the office hallway, uh, checking rooms left and right as they went along. I'm not necessarily expecting to find anything, but the way Officer Barrett was talking about it, he was like, I was kind of shitting myself, which is an amazing kind of sort of openness uh, for a cop to talk about years later. Then all of a sudden he got startled. He saw someone's arm hiding behind a glass partition, which doesn't sound like the best place to hide. Um, (laughs) Quick, behind this glass. And Barrett later said, it scared the living bejesus out of me. (laughs) The shit came out. (laughs) He yelled, come up with your hands up or I'm going to blow your head off. And five sets of hands went up. There was a whole crew in there. What, two and a half people? Five sets. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like five five hands, hands. Five hands come out and he's like, what the fuck? He described it as ten hands and I, for some reason, changed it to five sets of hands thinking it would make it easier to follow. You forgot who you do a podcast with. <laughs> Just imagine. Someone who overthinks maths. If he didn't do it, I would have, you know? <laughs> yeah. How many in each set? <laughs> Five sets of hands. What are like seven in each set? That's how many people is that? That's a lot of people. How many fingers? Are we counting thumbs as fingers? Oh, that old argument. <laughs> he saw 50 fingers go in the air. <gasps> what about thumbs? <laughs> <laughs> Including thumbs. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so all five men were arrested and they apparently gave fake names but were later found out to be James McCord, Bernard Baker, sorry, Bernard Barker, Frank Sturgis, Eugenio <laughs> Martinez and Virgilio Gonzalez. According to Barrett, this wasn't your normal typical burglary. These were bugging, there were bugging devices, tear gas pens Many, many rolls of film, locksmith tools, and thousands of dollars in $100 bills consecutively ordered. I never quite figured out why that was. Was it to plant them and to track them? Or I'm not, I don't know why that was. But anyway, Hmm. or that was just, yeah, someone listening is going to be like, oh. Yeah. Is it because, is it like escape money? If you've got to go on the run, you got. Right. That's why they're sequential. Because, yeah, because don't they normally say they want them in non sequentially ordered? Yeah. And if they're sequentially, it's like a way to track or something. So, yeah, anyway, I probably should have looked into that, but this one got away from me. Um, (laughs) The fact that an unmarked police car was the one to arrive on scene was very lucky as the burglars also had former FBI agent Alfred Baldwin working as a lookout. Oh, he just saw three hippies get out. Yeah, and apparently um, because, yeah, they were hippies, he didn't uh, raise the alarm via walkie-talkie like the plan was. Also, as Officer Barrett later told ABC News, uh, if a uniformed police car had answered that call, it could have been a whole different ball game. But also, it's believed that Baldwin was distracted, not just by their uniform, but also because he was across the street watching a movie called Attack of the Puppet People. <laughs> While well, he was meant to be keeping a watch on What was he burglary. watching a movie on? I, I mean, think he's in a hotel room across uh, the way or something I see. like that. Yeah. Oh, I thought he's at the cinema. Like, he's in the car. <laughs> yeah. He's driving along. You see a sign saying Attack of the Puppet People. You think, I can't miss that. Yeah. How, I'd be a how long is this burglar going to go for? I could probably miss the first hour and a half. I'll never forgive myself if I don't see. I, I mean, they don't repeat these things. Yeah. And, and, of course, it was a repeat. from. It was a movie from about 14 years earlier. But I missed it then and I'm not missing it now. <laughs> Make that mistake once. <laughs> Fool me once. 
Uh, by the time he realised the cops were there, it was too late for them to escape. He, he got onto them instead of being able to escape. The cops were already in there. They hid, and as we know, got soon caught. after, they were caught red-handed. Good one, Baldwin. How many red hands? Uh, five sets. <laughs> five sets of red hands. <laughs> All right. All different shades. Crimson, <laughs> scarlet. I'll take blood red, please. <laughs> Baldwin, obviously, he wasn't... He wasn't busted. He he it wasn't figured out that he was involved until he was watching eight a movie. Later. Yeah, it was just like he saw them getting taken away and just sort of awkwardly put popcorn in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just staying in a hotel. Yeah. He just turns the volume up on the movie, <laughs> draws the shades, yeah. goes to bed. Huh? Night night. That's a shame. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't immediately clear what had occurred. Who were these men working for? What was their goal? Washington Post journalist Bob Woodward received a phone call at 9 a.m. that morning. So, you know, about the arrest was about 2.30. So this is six and a half hours later, Dave. Yeah, I can do some maths as well. well that's five and a half hours later. <laughs> Fuck. Do you say eight or nine? Nine. nine. Okay, um, you're right. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you piece of shit, Dave. Uh, so he was called in on this on this Saturday to cover the burglary. It was in his late 20s and he'd been working at the post for about nine months. His first instinct was he was being handed a bit of a dud. This is a dud story. Oh, my God. He was shattered. He's like, been in nine months. I thought I was past this. And he genuinely does sound like he thought he, he'd done his hard work after nine months and he should have been getting the big stories by this point. What he didn't realise, this was the story of the century. Yeah, that is amazing. And he was about to play a key role. He nearly passed on it. And he's still a very famous journalist. Yeah. He, I mean, really based off, off uh, this. He was one of the writers of All the President's Men, the book. That you are That hearing. details his own investigation. <laughs> but it's all in the third person, ah. which threw me off. It's him and another writer who I'll mention. And then Bob walks in and says... <laughs> and he's looking real suave. <laughs> he's hot. He's Am I going to describe him? Yeah. In one oh. word, it's hot. It's hot, hottest man in the room, whatever room he was in. Whatever room. Saunas, still hotter. He's hotter than the sauna. <laughs> he's even hotter than the room itself. Yeah, that's wow. hot. It was it was uncomfortable to be near him. Yeah. That's why he had not many friends. Yeah. Okay. If you're looking for a reason, that's why. That's why he never settled down. He just didn't want to burden anybody with being that hot all the time. It's hard. It's a curse, really. <laughs> uh, according to All the President's Men, um, a book about the scandal that he wrote, when Woodward arrived at the post, he checked in with the city editor and learned with surprise that the burglars had not broken into the small local Democratic Party office that he was thinking, but the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee in the Watergate office apartment hotel complex. So he was thinking, his head was like, oh, there's some small-time Democratic break-in. Even that, to me, is like, yeah. that still feels like a- Yeah, decent story. They had gas pens- yeah. And he's like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm lumped with a gas pen story. How <laughs> Again. Many, a dime a dozen around here. <laughs> uh, so maybe this was a bigger story than Woodward had first thought. He also found out that another Washington Post journalist had been assigned the story, Carl Bernstein, who would go on to write the book with him. So a bunch of people that day were working on the story, um, but they're the two sort of main guys on the beat working on it. Uh this wasn't welcome news to Woodward that Bernstein was involved. Uh, though they had never worked on a story together before, they didn't really get on. They were both in their late 20s. One was 28, one was 29, but had arrived in their roles in very different ways. According to the book, 
uh, Bernstein was a college dropout. He had started as a copy boy at the Washington Star when he was 16, became a full-time reporter at 19, and had worked at the Post since 1966. Uh, funnily enough, that was the same year that the Saints won the uh, their one and only AFL, AFL Premiership. Fun fact. So far. So far. <laughs> so far, yeah. Uh, they're only one of that century. Uh, many more to come this so far. Century. So far. <laughs> uh, on, so on the one hand, you've got Bernstein, this guy, college dropout. He's also got long hair, worked his way up to the um, where he was. On the other hand, Woodward had studied at Yale, was a veteran of the Navy Officer Corps, and Bernstein saw him as, quote, a prima donna who played heavily at office politics. Mm. Uh, Bernstein, with his longish hair, um, on the other hand, Woodward, sensible haircut. Of course. You can set your watch to it? Real yin and yang scenario. <laughs> Definitely watch setting abilities. On what a fun odd couple. <laughs> what I'm predicting is a lot of like, that's not how I do it. Well, whoa, do you know Yale? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then they're going to slowly learn to respect each other. And then they're going to be closer than brothers. Yeah. And then they're going to write a book together. You have to what? be very close to write a book together. Yeah, you do. Because you have to share both be one the same computer. Type of. <laughs> yeah. I remember this in 1972. <laughs> Computers. Oh, yeah. They probably hardly did exist, actually. I was going to joke that they didn't, but I guess they probably didn't really. Ugh, I bet they, they would have been on typewriters. That's why people had so many kids. No Netflix. You have to do something. <laughs> you got to tap something. Either a typewriter or something else. Or a type reader. <laughs> <laughs> Type senorita. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so, to Woodward, Bernstein looked like one of those counterculture journalists that he despised, while Bernstein thought that Woodward's rapid rise at the post had less to do with his ability than his establishment credentials. Yale boy over here. Yep. Phoning in Sucking a few favours. Yep. Doing you know, all the office the politics networks. bullshit, whereas I've just been here working. Yeah. Work my way up. Work my way up from bootstraps. the bottom. Uh, so veteran crime journalist at the Post, Alfred E. Lewis, phoned in the first details of the story. Apparently he was a veteran of 35 years. The book talks about him like there's a bit of a legend around these yeah. parts. Never wrote a word down himself. Was always phoning it into someone to type it out. <laughs> never wrote. Like, on his grave it says, never wrote a word down. Never wrote a word down. These are the first words he ever wrote down. Even these. These <laughs> weren't him. He was a really bad waiter. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got it. Uh, six scrambled eggs. Uh, sorry, what was what did you want again? <laughs> uh, back to the book. The five men arrested at 2.30 a.m. had been dressed in business suits and all had worn Playtex rubber surgical gloves. Uh, so this is from the book, but it was all phoned in from that legend, Alfred E. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> uh, police had seized a walkie-talkie, 40 rolls of unexposed film, two 35-millimeter cameras, lockpicks, pen-sized tear gas guns, and bugging devices that apparently were capable of picking up both telephone and room conversations. They found uh, over one the head of the committee, his they got there when um, ceiling parts of the ceiling were taken off where they were clearly going to be dropping the bugs. So absolutely caught red-handed. Wow. One of the men, I don't know how important this is, it's not, but one of the men had $814, one had $800, one had $215, one had $234, one had $230. Lewis had dictated. Dave? He's saying this all over the phone. <laughs> Dave, what have, got, what have we got there? Imagine if he'd 
calculated that in his head. (laughs) Most of it was in $100 bills in sequence. They seemed to know their way around. At least one of them must have been familiar with the layout. They had rooms on the second and third floors of the hotel. The men ate lobster in a restaurant there that night, all at the same table. So there's like a hotel and offices and... Yeah, it's like a whole bit. It's like six different buildings, is that what I said? Yeah, yeah, So it's a whole complex. This is a swish little complex of... Of Washington, D.C. Yeah, gotcha. So they're staying in the hotel part while... Yeah, a lot of big players in politics, especially in the Republican scene, um, have offices and apartments in there. Uh, eating. It's so funny to go have a quick lobster meal before yeah. hitting up a burglary. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to stay, you got to fuel your body. Even eating in the same establishment, yeah, you're about to burgle silly, together. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's like either naivety or overconfidence or something, but... Mm. Uh, but as you'll hear, uh, you know, um, they were arrested soon after. It didn't matter that they were eating lobster, but I guess when they were being pulled out, the lobster chef was like, hey, I served them lobster. <laughs> <laughs> you never forget a face you serve lobster to. <laughs> it's like they're, they're going, hey, is this risky, us eating lobster tonight? It'll be fine. What's going to fuck us up is our mate watching a movie. Yeah. <laughs> but- that's a classic. Puppet people. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> Would you miss the puppet people? Imagine being that guy and being like, all right, I'll go to jail for the crime. That's fine. But if you're going to report it in the press, can you at least say it was like, it's a wonderful life or something <laughs> with a bit more respect? I was going with the wind. <laughs> Frankly, my dear. Is that <laughs> that one? <laughs> Please. Please. I do give a damn. <laughs> uh, Woodward heard from Lewis that they were going to be appearing in court that afternoon. So Woodward went along. Huh? That's good. That's journalism. smart. That's smart. Go and hear Here. stuff. Here yeah. at the hearing. That yes. hippie would never do that. No, he'd feel That's stuff. Right. Yeah. He'd go talk to a tree or something. <laughs> yeah. See what the tree knows. Yeah, hug your story away. Good luck. <laughs> at, the preliminary, at the preliminary hearing, it was revealed that one of the men, James McCord, was a recently retired CIA agent. He said the judge was going, what, what do you guys do? And apparently one of them goes, we're anti-communists. <laughs> and they all sort of nodded <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. That's our job. That sounds good. And the judge was apparently the judge, the way they talked about it in the book, they're like, the judge was used to hearing weird jobs. But even to him, that was strange. <laughs> <laughs> so he sort of pushed him. And then, uh-huh. and how do you make money? <laughs> and McCord apparently then goes, well, I used to work as an agent. Whereabouts? CIA. And apparently Woodward said half aloud, Holy shit, the CIA <laughs> sitting in the back of the courtroom. Everyone turns around. Shh, Shut H. up. Come on, this is a Rude. This is an attack of the puppet people. You know? It's not about an it's audience. It's not a pantomime in here, okay? Pantomime. Pantomime. That's where they do it, in the mind. <laughs> the Pantomine. iron ore's behind you. <laughs> Uh, eight reporters from the Post were involved in putting the story together, including Woodward, Bernstein, and that old bloody legend, Oof. Lewis. Uh, it ran on the front page the following day with the opening paragraph reading, five men, one of whom said he's a former employee of the Central Intelligence Agency, arrested at 2.30am yesterday in what authorities described as an elaborate plot to bug the officers of the Democratic National Committee here. Sounds like a massive story to me. I'm like, holy shit, this must have exploded everything. But that's just not how it happened. It doesn't, I'm, I mean, because I guess I know that it goes this way. I'm like, 
obviously this looks like something that goes all the way to the top. Mm. But no one was really thinking like that. Um, apparently, uh, this is again from the book, the thought that the break-in might somehow be the work of the Republicans seemed implausible. What? Like their direct opponents. So for some reason, they were like, well, it's obviously not the Republicans. Let's cross them off the subject. <laughs> Who could it be? Some people were like, um, yeah, this just seems like anti-communist sort of work. Uh, okay. On June the 17th, and in part the, uh, that might have been thought because some of the uh, four of, no, three of the five had a Cuban backgrounds and had worked in anti, um, what's the old Cuban fella's name? Castro. Castro. It's some anti-Castro sort of place. The old Cuban fella. <laughs> uh, this is still from the book. On June 17, 1972, less than a month before the Democratic Convention, the president stood ahead of all announced Democratic candidates. So this is why they thought, obviously, the Republicans wouldn't be wasting their time with this. Nixon, the president, he'd, he was serving his first term. Uh, he stood ahead of all announced Democratic candidates in the polls by no less than 19 points. It was just it was a no contest between him and any of the Democrats. Uh, Richard Nixon's ver- a vision of an emerging Republican majority that would dominate the last quarter of the century uh, appeared possible. The Democratic Party was in disarray as a brutal primary season approached its end. Senator George McGovern of South Dakota, considered by the White House and the Democratic Party professionals alike to be Nixon's weakest opponent, was emerging as the clear favourite to win the Democrats' nomination for president. It's one of those unfortunate ones where they're like, Nixon's like, I hope that McGovern guy wins the Democratic thing because I will beat him. Yeah. And the Democrats are going, he's our man. Or, the, you know, the people who were uh, voting on it, the higher-ups at the Democrats apparently were like, this is not good for the election, although Nixon was very popular anyway. Uh, the story noted... There was no immediate explanation as to why the five suspects would want to bug the the Democratic National Committee officers or whether or not they were working for any other individuals or organisations. Could have just been some wildcats. College students. Loan operators. Bit of a prank. CIA types. Five lone wolves. (laughs) 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 Uh, What was that? um, What was the Airheads band called? Oh, the Lone, Lone Rangers. Rangers. Five yeah. Lone Rangers. <laughs> uh, oh, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> outside of the ex-CIA agent McCord, the other four men, Barker's, Sturges, Gonzalez and Martinez, were from Miami, and of which three were Cuban-Americans. And according to the book, all four had been involved in anti-Castro activities and were also said to have CIA connections. Oh, okay. so I don't know why the CIA thing... Um, uh, is a big connection with all a lot of the people involved. Yeah. Uh, though it sort of it almost hints that maybe it goes all the way to the top. Yeah, that I, that would be a bit of a that would ring a bell for me. In my head, I'd go ding 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 ding. Look into that. I think it seems like back then people just trusted governments more and didn't think this kind of stuff happened. It just seems so unlikely. Yeah. Uh, especially because Nixon is cruising. What it looks yeah. like he's cruising to a victory. Why would he need to bug the opponents? He's just got to keep doing what he's doing and he's going to win. Yeah. I guess maybe if he's always been a little bit dodgy, he thinks this is keeping on doing what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I bugged everyone else's thing, so I'm going to keep doing it, right? Uh, though when Bernstein spoke to Barker's wife, so Barker, one of the um, the Cubans, Cuban-Americans, 
Bernstein spoke to his wife and asked about her husband's CIA connection. Her, uh, his, hus- his wife replied, I've never known if he works for the CIA or not. The men never tell the women anything about that. Okay. What, I reckon, what do you think? Why would, why would we talk about that? Why would I need to know where my husband works? <laughs> what a fucking ridiculous question. Such How a weird question. dare you ask me? So this is Bernstein the hippie thinking that people <laughs> talk to their partners about yeah, their they jobs and stuff. And All their right. Names. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Bernstein, I'll be the feminist of this podcast, mate. Stop <laughs> yeah. edging in on my territory. Yeah. Uh, the That's day- odd. Yeah, where, where do you go every day? No comment. All right. Why are you asking me that? How rude. Does that feel like any of your business? <laughs> the day after the break-in, Bernstein and Woodward were asked by the editor, by one of their editors, to continue working on the story. That day, they also found out that James McCord was the security coordinator for the Committee for the Re-Election of the President, uh, CRP, later pejoratively known as Creep. Oh. So James McCord, one of the five, was the security coordinator for Nixon's Committee for Re-Election. Oh, Okay, that's a very direct connection now to the top. That's what you'd think, but it's still no one was really necessarily seeing it that way. According to the book, upon hearing this revelation, the two reporters stood in the middle of the newsroom and looked at each other. What the hell do you think it means, Woodward asked. Bernstein didn't know. Okay. He he said, what do you think it means? (laughs) What do you think it means? Why are you asking? You you tell me what you think. Then I'll tell you what I think. Let's say it together. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. Yep. Uh, The same day, Nixon's campaign manager, John Mitchell, issued a statement distancing themselves from McCord. So it seems like he's pretty closely tied to the president because he's, you know, employed by the re-election committee. Yeah. But uh, the campaign manager, John Mitchell, said this. The person involved is the proprietor of a private security agency who was employed by our committee months ago to assist with the installation of our security system. He has, as we understand it, a number of business clients and interests, and we have no knowledge of these relationships. We want to emphasise that this man and the other people involved were not operating on either our behalf or with our consent. There is no place in our campaign or in the electoral process for this type of activity, and we will not permit or condone it. I like how he didn't even say his name. This man. Uh, I, what was his name? I couldn't even pronounce uh, it. Mac- Greg? Was it Greg, I think? <laughs> Harry? I don't, I don't know. know. Whatever. Let's just say this man. All he did was install a security camera. I mean, I don't really know what he did. I asked him what he did and he said, we don't really talk about that here. <laughs> yeah. So I moved on. I don't want to be rude. Oh, do you remember the names of every tradesperson you've ever had at your house? Some guy popped in. <laughs> okay. Do you remember the name of every director that works for you? Okay. Come on. He does work with us, sure, but he does work with a lot of people. Yeah. Have you asked them? If they're Whoever they the are? president? Yeah. <laughs> Doubt it. Do your job. God. I'm actually offended. Yeah. <laughs> I love that sort of front foot stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I think that's oh, disrespecting the great work that our boys and girls out there in the CIA or wherever he's connected or not connected to. Because not us, not, not me. Not me. I don't know him. What are you even? Why I've are you never met me another about? person before. Who are you? A person? <laughs> I haven't seen one. Sit. Oh, cool. I haven't even seen a mirror. Do I look like you? Do we look the same? Do we all look the same? You watched Death to Twenty Twenty. Yes. Lisa Kudrow. A lot of that kind of energy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> a lot of I never said that. That Very was fun. that was fun. That was a good, pretty good fun. It was, it was all right. Yeah. 
I was very tired. I don't know. I was on my phone for a bit. Yeah, it was one of those. I enjoyed it. It felt like it could have been a little bit shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could have been a half hour thing. But I found that was I found the uh, the soccer mum very funny. Very good. Yeah. And do you know who who surprised me? Hugh Grant was actually oh, very, very good. good. It's very funny. Hmm. I was like, well done. Have you haven't you seen Paddington Bear? Oh, fantastic or, point. Yeah. Actually, no, I haven't seen the second one. Which one's either bad going? Is it? The oh, it must be one? the second one. Oh, it must be the second. So one. I'll I'll watch that tonight. I yeah, think. it's very good in that too. Have you not memory. seen Notting Hill? <laughs> oh my god, he's so foppish. Oh my goodness. Didn't he? He played one character for so long. Yeah, yeah, and but now he's he did. Sort of really, he nailed it. So yeah, four weddings and a funeral would be in like I think that's my favorite film. I saw this film, The Gentleman. Have you seen that? It's like a Guy Ritchie film yeah. from a few years ago, and he he plays like a. A kind of a manipulative yes. bad guy journalist in that, and it, you know it's again it's slightly different. It's probably not miles away from what he played in the Death mm. of Twenty Twenty. That film had its issues. Just let me say that. Okay. And and move on. Move on. Yeah. Thank you for saying it. <laughs> had some good points thank, too. Thank you for being brave. Hey, you know it was missing Dave's man. Mm-hmm. That's all. If I think Guy Ritchie, I, in my head I pictured Jason Statham. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fair. I don't know what he looks like. But I picture it's been emotional. I was like, no thanks, Turkish. I'm sweet <laughs> enough. <laughs> anyway, well, how do we get there? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to new listeners who have turned off. Um, but I look forward to your YouTube <laughs> Your comment. YouTube comments of I trash. Get through it. This is trash. You are not funny. No, don't comment. Don't listen. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to skin you alive. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'd be deleting that comment right now if I were you. Whoa. Yeah, I can't control it when she's like this. <laughs> I'm going to have a 10-minute power nap and then I'm going to murder you. <laughs> the only, that's your only one for the week, so yeah. use it wisely. I'm going to be fresh AF <laughs> to fuck you up. <laughs> okay, I think everyone should take that warning. Um <laughs> So, so John Mitchell's basically said, no, like, yeah, it's not nothing to do with us. Uh, that wasn't enough for the Democratic National Chairman Lawrence O'Brien, though, who said that the break-in raised the ugliest question about the integrity of the political process that I've encountered in a quarter of a century of political activity. No mere statement of innocence by Mr. Nixon's campaign manager, John Mitchell, will dispel these questions. He ended up, he, he, I think it was maybe that day or soon after he... He sued for a million bucks. I don't know what happened with that. <laughs> I assume he got a million bucks. Probably That's million it. Bucks. I'm suing for a million bucks. What <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Quite> a country. <laughs> Woodward hit the phones hard. I mean, this is the whole story, and a lot of what I don't talk about is Woodward and Bernstein hitting the phones, traveling all around the country, talking to people who were, who were on the inside and yeah. near the inside. Uh, inside adjacent. Inside adjacent, <laughs> often on the on the down low, off record. Oh, they're on they're inside adjacent on the down low. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, so he has to get on his hands and knees at different points. Yeah, um, and that is oh, all right. That is well, you know, you get you get a result. That's how you get your result. <laughs> so they, um, <laughs> they, they, yeah, that was so much of this story mm. is them just slowly nutting it out over the years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get the result. That's all that matters. Uh, So Woodward hit the phones hard, chasing up any leads or half leads, speaking to anyone who knew McCord. He started building up a profile on him. Deeply religious, a family man, ex-FBI, ex-CIA. And despite what Mitchell said, quote, those who knew him him agreed that he worked full-time for the president's re-election committee. Like it wasn't a secret in his circles. 
He worked full time. Here's seven photos of him with the, the president. Yeah. Well, I think that yeah, they probably had just a little of a buffer between creep and the president, but you know, that was He's pr- not just some dude yeah. that like did your catering yeah, exactly. six years ago. That's right. Yeah. Oh, what do you want me to remember all the catering? I remember oh, there was some there was some good canapes that day. Oh, sure. Actually, those uh sandwiches were fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Salmon and avocado on rye. Wow. I remember that. Oh, but wow. I do not remember yeah. that man. <laughs> I've said too much. Uh, interestingly, four of the people Woodward spoke to described him as the consummate government man, reluctant to act on his own initiative, respectful of the chain of command, unquestioning in following orders. So another thing that makes you go, well, it sounds like a guy who wouldn't have acted without people from above telling him he should be. Yeah. <laughs> Never had an original thought or plan <laughs> in his life, this guy. A really dull fuck, honestly. Yeah, well, whoa. <laughs> if Nixon told him to do it, he'd do it. All of his jokes Especially just from chain emails. Yeah. That was it. King of the Fords, they called him. <laughs> Shared a lot of memes. Shared a lot of memes. Ooh, wow. uh, Woodward started typing up his story in which he identified one of the Watergate burglars as a full-time employee of the president's re-election committee, McGird or whatever which his name is. accurate. What's <laughs> fucking McCord. Um, oh, there was... I was distracted slightly last night when I'm writing this. I was had one eye on the cricket, and there's a new Melbourne Renegades player. He's like an 18 year old, and if he gets big, he's gonna have the best name in world cricket. Uh, Jake Fraser McGurk. <laughs> McGurk. Jake Fraser McGurk. That is good. And Fraser McGurk because that's hyphenated. Yeah. Wow, I mean, we got two great names like that. Yeah, it's hard to choose. But you also think that's one of the greatest names in cricket. It will be, yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, what are you thinking? Shane Warne. Shane Warne. That's a great name. That's a that's a name you can set your watch to. That's the only fucking cricketer I know. You could name another one. Come on, name one more. Don Bradman. Oh, great name. Brett Lee. Oh yeah, I mean these are. You've named some super boring names. Well, yeah. Compare those to what the name I just said. Yeah, I can't remember it. Jake Fraser McGurk. Fraser McGurk. Okay. That's great. It's all right. I mean, what was that? What's that AFL play we were talking about? Jaron? Jaron Geary, Saints captain. Fuck me. Jaron. What's the other name? No, Grian Myers. What's that again? <laughs> Grian Myers. Grian. Parents made it up. If you like Grian, love it. Grian. Grian. Yuck. <laughs> Jaren. Call him Breg or something. <laughs> Breg. <laughs> Breg comes into bowl. <laughs> Breg. Breg. Um, well, his dad's name was Brett and his uncle's name was Greg. Breg. So this is actually a beautiful, beautiful tribute, tribute to him. <laughs> tribute to Breg. To our beautiful baby boy, Breg. <laughs> Wherever I'm, I, where did I get, how did I get there? <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. You're talking about uh, Mick. Oh, Yes. Yeah, well, and that's how oh, got that's to McGurk. Right. So Woodward's typing up this story. Yeah. He identified McGurk, McGreg, McCord, identified McCord, and um, said he was from uh, Creep. And then, without asking, so he handed in a first few pages to the editor, and then without asking, Bernstein sort of looking over his shoulder, and he took it and <laughs> across the room, Woodward's like, "Wait, Bernstein's taken my." pages and take him to his desk and he started typing and he's like hang on he's re- he's rewriting my story 
And he went and he said he was afraid of this anyway. He had a reputation for sort of moving in on people's stories and, and putting his byline on it. The vulture. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then he went over and he, he read the rewritten version and he was like, oh, no. It's better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. Oh, damn. That's really, really good. So, yeah, yeah, it felt like maybe the – I don't think they were ever, like, full best mates or anything, but I think they started yeah. – they definitely respected each other more and they were both integral, equally integral in um, bringing this whole story to light. Uh, in the early hours of the following morning, Woodward received a call from the post-night police reporter, Eugene Bakinski. According to the book, Bakinski had something from one of the police sources of his, uh, two address books belonging to two of the Miami men arrested inside the Watergate. So they also, on them, had address books with a lot of details. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, One of them contained the name and phone number of Howard E. Hunt with the small notations W House and WH. I don't know if you can crack that code. Hang on. (laughs) Give me a sec. Whose house? (laughs) Oh, I was thinking of like, you know how they sometimes call toilets wash closets? Oh, yeah. I was thinking wash house. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Great. So is it like a direction to like the closest public toilet in case they needed to use the facility? Yeah. Do they have IBS so they needed to <laughs> keep track of toilets? This is before toilet apps. you got to remember that. Right. Yeah. Now there's so many toilet apps to yeah, choose. Right. I mean, everyone's got multiple toilet apps. <laughs> yes, don't of they? I mean, what is this smartphone except a giant thing for toilet <laughs> app toilet information? Apps, yeah. And then to look at while you're on the toilet. Exactly. You look at where your next toilet's going to be. You plan your stops. <laughs> yeah. You stop at one. You know where you're going next. You know me. I'm a planner. I'm a Virgo. Yeah. We plan. Okay, I'll piss in about 46 minutes. <laughs> stop at one, do a two, go to two, <laughs> and do another one. <laughs> so, Ethan, I think that honestly, that is almost as dumb as let's call her L Simpson. No, yeah. that's too obvious. How about Lisa S? Yeah, I guess they just were not else? thinking about it being found, I guess. They were not planning at all on being busted. But, I mean, why, no not just, plan. why not just write oh, White House yeah, and write W House? Yeah, it's yeah, a good point. Um, so Woodward went, well, that's interesting. Um, I'll try and call this guy. He found a listing for Howard Hunt in Potomac, Maryland, uh, an affluent horse country suburb of Montgomery County, but there was no answer. I mean, it, it was late at night. This is in the middle of the night. So uh, he went back to the office the following day and continued to try and track down this mysterious Howard Hunt from W House. Uh, Woodward called an old friend of his who worked for the federal government. His friend said that he couldn't talk long, but that the Watergate case was going to heat up before hanging up. Oh, hot water hat. And Watergate. Ah, okay. Woodward tried <laughs> chasing down Howard Hunt by calling the White House. He thought, maybe this W House could be the White House. Hmm. Oh, let's try. Roll the dice. Um, Hello, quite- White House. Is that you? <laughs> and that's what he did. He just called the White House. And it sent- there's something that I, I noticed through this um, book as well was that a lot of places were like, you'd call them and they'd give you information. The White House. He called at one point, I don't think I go through it, but he called the library at the White House and was like, I need to know this guy who works there, what books he has taken out. And they gave him the results and then he asked him more questions and then um, they called back later and said, hey, I probably shouldn't have said uh, that stuff that I oh, said to you. Oh, no. And then later went, I never said that stuff to you. Mm. That sort of, yeah, it was just a, a way more trusting time. Um, so he's collecting information bit by bit, phone call after phone call. Uh, the operator at the White House couldn't locate Hunt, but he just called the White House and said, oh, I work for the paper. You find Hunt. 
They're like, can't find him. And then they went before they hung up. They went, actually, there's one other place he might be in Mr. Colson's office. Uh, and then they tried, uh, but Mr. Colson's secretary gave Woodward the number for a PR firm, said he's not in at the moment, but he also does some work at this PR firm. You should call him there. Like real open with information like that. Um, Woodward asked an assistant editor who Colson was. Who's this Colson guy? Uh, Charles W. Colson, special counsel to the President of the United States, was the White House hatchet man, the reply came. Uh, he was the, like muscle, you know, he was the, he was the fixer kind of guy or the finisher. So who in West Wing would that be? Oh. Hard to say. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I almost quoted West Wing like on air on radio the other day. Yeah. Because they were talking about the 25th Amendment in the news and I was like, yes, like how the president gets shot in the West Wing and he has to sign the 25th, he has to sign paper saying the vice president is in control. I understand. You bit your tongue, did you? Yeah, I did. (laughs) You should have said that. I should have said it. But I didn't. I regret it every day. Uh, So this Colson guy, this hatchet man, uh, was talked about by an anonymous quote a year earlier in an article in the Post uh, with the quote, as one of the original backroom boys, the brokers, the guys who fix things when they break down and do the dirty work when it's necessary. That's who they described Colson as, an anonymous source, which was published a year earlier. So I was going, oh, okay. So he's connected. He's working with this guy. He's, he's connected to this mm. backdoor boy, <laughs> regional backroom boy. Uh, so within a few days of the break-in, the journalists had connected one of the burglars, McCord, to the Republican National Committee and now connected the burglars to Hunt and Hunt to Colson. Colson being the back room boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm following. So they're, if they're not connecting the dots all the way up to the top, they're getting a fair way up yeah. there. Just and with pretty people, quickly. People that are just like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll send you. Where do you want these medical records sent? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. You want the president's personal journal? I don't see why not. I'll get him to send it over yeah. himself. <laughs> he'll, he'll drop it over. Nixie's like, okay. All right, well. Oh, that was a good Nixon. Was that a good Nixon? <laughs> I want to try one later when I quote him. Okay, See great. how I go. Yeah, cool. It's based on Futurama. Him? Okay, yep. <laughs> His head in a in a jar from oh, Futurama. Oh, that's right. Uh, Woodward dialed the number for the PR agency and asked for Hunt. Uh, how the exchange went down, again, comes from the book. Quite quite a fan of this quick exchange. And I, I, I'm going into a bit more detail about their Hunt for details early. And I, I sort of start skimming over things soon because this goes on for years. This is day after day and we're wow. only in the first week. <laughs> uh, so he calls this PR firm and the voice answers, Howard Hunt here. Woodward says, hey, I'm Woodward from the- Hey, what's up? I'm Woodward. Woodward from the uh, Washington Post. Hunt replied, yes, what is it? <laughs> Woodward asked Hunt why his name and phone number were in the address books of two of the men arrested at the Watergate. Howard Hunt replied, good God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, Oh, crap. I definitely shouldn't have said it was illegal. (laughs) And then he quickly added, in view that this matter is under adjudication, I have no comment. And then slammed down the phone. Good God. (laughs) Good God. It's maybe my favorite quote in the whole thing. Good God. Good God. And you're just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Damn it. Oh, come on. 
plan. Woodward phoned Robert Bennett to ask about Hunt. Bennett was the president of the public relations firm uh, that he was working at, that Hunt was at, and also the son of a Republican senator. Bennett replied, I guess it's no secret that Howard was with the CIA. That had been a secret to Woodward. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just another guy who's in in there, ex-CIA. He then called the CIA where he found out that Hunt had been with them from 49 to 70, so 21 years. So he's a... And again, they just gave that information yeah. about the a CIA, CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. Not so smart. So, and now that's two CIA in the five. Yes. Uh, well, uh, no, Hunt. Hunt was in the book. He wasn't one of the burglars, but he's connected. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. But connected back to it. Yeah. I can't believe you could just call the CIA back then and ask for info about their agents. Let's try it now. It's interesting because in some ways it makes sense. You're like they're working for us. It's a public thing um i need to report about it shouldn't i be able to know but yeah you go and that does put some surely that puts some things at risk and privacy and all, all those yeah. sort of things as well sort of like you know the australian parliament was built so that the lawn meant that you could basically walk on top of parliament mm. and you, you know the people were above parliament the politicians will always remember you know it's symbolic if, if i'm remembering this right yeah uh, and then a couple of years ago, they put up a fence so yeah. people couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> they had to close it off for security reasons. Yeah. So you sort of go, well, I kind of get that, yeah, maybe there'd be security reasons, but also it is, <laughs> the, it's the Parliament House where, yeah, it's it, it's a curious thing. Um, do you think, how often do you think politicians get told, I pay your wages? <laughs> as much as people who work for Trill J. Oh, no, that actually has never happened to me there, but it happened to me working at a call centre one time. I pay your wages. What? <laughs> I was like. I don't think you do, mate. <laughs> I bought a dishwasher. I pay your wages. It wasn't even a um. Yeah, it wasn't even like a a call center call center. I was anyway. Yeah, it was like a a. It's a multi million dollar. I think now billion dollar company in Australia. That's fine. I and pay this your one wages. customer who'd placed a couple of ads was like, "I pay your wages." I'm like, I don't think you do, mate. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Are you Greg in accounts? Yeah. <laughs> hey, okay, Greg. Good to finally put a voice to the name. <laughs> for always pay it on time um so yeah so now we know hunts this guy at the CIA mm. Woodward then spoke to an unnamed source who was high up in a government agency unclear who and they confirmed that hunt was involved though the source only gave information on the understanding that he couldn't be quoted even anonymously and this source would later be known as deep throat familiar with him is yeah. one of the, sort of the, the famous parts of the story. Uh, but I'll get into their relationship a little bit later. But it runs also runs out, runs throughout. Woodward is continuously meeting on and off with him in the classic sort of way in a, in a like a car park, uh, smoking a cigarette. I think it's probably where a lot of tropes have come from. Yeah. And at least from the movie version of this story. They even have a character in X Files, you remember, called Deep Throat in the first season. Yeah, exactly. Meeting him like in front of like the Lincoln Memorial or something at three AM. Yes. Both wearing black trench coats. <laughs> and the Simpsons spoof it a bit. Yeah, with, yeah. with Smithers. Remember yeah, he's trying to give them away and then <laughs> I mean, just blast him with the lights. <laughs> Headlights on. Yeah. Um The Post published another story, uh, this one titled White House Consultant Linked to Bugging Suspects. Uh, oh, flows off the tongue. <laughs> Beautiful. 
The morning the story came out, presidential press secretary. Now you probably CJ CJ. Yes, great. Uh, but th- uh, this time it wasn't CJ. This was before CJ got the, g- the oh, job. Oh yeah, I mean it's the seventies. This she was, was she was a the baby. Ronald Ziegler. Um, he sounds. Wasn't there a character? Toby Toby Ziegler? Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder. That's probably not a coincidence. They probably named him after him. I guess. So the president, press secretary, Ronald Ziegler, was asked a question about the break-in. He replied dismissively, saying, certain elements may try to stretch this beyond what it is, before describing the incident as a third-rate burglary attempt that did not warrant further White House comment. This is no big deal. I mean, they might be trying to draw some conclusions that aren't there. God, slow news day or something (laughs) (laughs) for you guys. We're not going to waste our time. You're a joke. 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 <laughs> Get out. Get out of my press gallery or whatever this room's called. I should know that. <laughs> Make a note. Let me check that. Get back to Let you me. in our brief this I'll afternoon. I'll take that on notice. <laughs> uh, See you back here at four o'clock. <laughs> With a better attitude. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you better have fucked off. The uh, current one, Kaylee McEnany's attitude and back and forth with the press is genuinely almost that antagonistic. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, right. If you would report the truth in your papers, it's very it's amazing. Wow. I mean, that is that, if that is what she's asking, that feels like that's... <laughs> that's reasonable. That's think, reasonable. Yeah, and as a, as a journalism she, major, I think that's probably what should be happening. Yeah, yeah. If, and if that's not what's happening, she, I imagine she would be What's frustrated. being reported then? Fake things? May, lamestream media style oh, stuff. Okay. Oh, not fake news. What? Honestly, that does suck. That's fiction. It does suck when fake news is reported. Um, According to a later report in the Washington Post, quote, the next day, Nixon and Chief of Staff H.R. Haldeman (laughs) privately discussed how to get the CIA to tell the FBI to back off from the burglary investigation. Um, Nixon's in it. He's in it. Yeah. (laughs) But they're just denying, deny, deny, deny. Uh, Always at, a good move, I think. Yes. Deny, deny, deny. So, but what what has he done? Uh, he's he's having private discussions about how to cover it all off, and also getting the FBI to back off mm. via the CIA. Right? Can you call the FBI and tell them to back off, <laughs> please? They don't listen when I call them. <laughs> I was talking to Greg, and Greg scares me. Uh, he's kind of mean. Greg from accounts. Yes, he never pays me on time. <laughs> the president's not getting paid on time. <laughs> How much does a president make? Like half a million dollars a year? Yeah, they get paid like well for a normal person, but not well for a, like a real famous person. They're so famous. Kanye would get more for sure. He'd Easily. be taking a pay cut if he got that gig. What about like... He's probably glad he didn't. <laughs> what about now? Like is Obama set for... Because he can't get a job, can he? They make so... I think it's like oh. a lot of politicians. They make so much on speaking tours and, and book like, deals. Book deal, oh, yeah. Netflix deal. Yeah, just... Michelle's got the Spotify deal. Like they, they, are, they do have a gravy rich. train anyway, but then they can cash in on all sorts of things. But they a, do have like some sort of pension though, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. They'll never have to work and they have a staff forever, I think. I think they did a $50 million book deal. Hmm. So they're probably Just okay. Just a little cream on top. Yeah. <laughs> they're probably all right then. Yeah. yeah you have been worrying. Is that why you haven't been sleeping? Yeah. I'm so worried about Barack Obama. <laughs> I'm worried about the Obamas. So why would I, somebody think of the Obamas? Let's wrap this up so I can go to bed. Do you think he invested well? <laughs> Because in my mind, he didn't exist until he was president. Yeah. So it's like, you've got like four years, man, maybe eight. <laughs> you only work for four years, man. What about Trump? Uh, Where was he before this? Does he have any money? 
I don't know. Is he planned well? I'm pretty sure, like, it would almost, there'd be maybe nearly no exceptions where it wasn't a pay cut to become president. Yeah, wow. So normally rich people get the gig. They have to be in some way to, I'm speaking to very naively from and... the other side of the world, but yeah, I believe that to be true. Well, it'd be step up for Joe Biden because he's been a senator. I imagine a president gets true. paid more yeah, yeah. for us. And... That's, yeah, that's a good point. But even senators, aren't they not like often from well, wealth? And they have lots of money and stuff. I think he's the first non-Ivy League Oh, person, right. Because, be yeah, someone was saying it was it was noteworthy that he's Catholic. Yeah, I saw that too. It's like which the I've second ever since JFK. after JFK, which is interesting. What, JFK was the first? Yeah, and I think it was at the time that was, like, controversial. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, it, I did see it noted that he was Catholic, and I was like, okay. Yeah. I, I th- just, I can't say I think about. Catholicism must be more mainstream here or something. I believe so, yeah. Because I think a lot of our prime ministers have been Catholic. Maybe it's more on the Labor side. Is that the classic thing? Anyway, we've been sidetracked by weird stuff again. Sorry. (laughs) It's funny. It's like uh, we don't – our kind of Christianity doesn't like their slightly different kind of Christianity. Um, So at the press conference on the afternoon of June 22, President Nixon made his first public comment about the incident saying – the White House has no involvement whatsoever in this particular incident. I mean, turn into Larry David. At that the end was Bernie Sanders doing Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. Closer than my Donald Duck on whatever. Yeah, that, that was closer to your Donald Duck than your genuine attempt at a Donald Duck. When was that Donald? That was on a Patreon bonus. It was awesome. Yeah, definitely worth you having a crack. Uh, Bernstein and Woodward both found the phrasing in this particular incident interesting. They're like, that's a weird way to phrase it. Say it again, but not in a dumb voice. The White House has no involvement, whatever, in this particular incident. (laughs) In this particular incident. Oh, we've got involvement in other incidents. Of course. Which makes sense. Hmm. And is it phrased like this? There's no involvement, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how it sounds. Uh, despite still working hard on the story and feeling like it was a big one, around a month later, according to the book, the Watergate story had stalled, maybe even died. The reporters could not understand why. They're like, this is a big thing, but it was just getting sort of squashed from inside the government. They were um, getting the CIA to stop the FBI investigating uh, and um, also just sort of stopping people talking a, a bit and the pressure was on to get it spot on. But the higher-ups, even at the Washington Post, who did seem to believe in the story, were starting to move on as well. Um, despite Bernstein's protests, he was made to go back to reporting on what he was doing before this, Virginia state politics. And at the same time, Wood was like, I'm taking a vacation. Yeah, you know what? You need a break. It's been full on for a little bit, but... Uh, if, if, I'm going to go sit in the beach. Yeah. You know, have a cocktail. Yeah, drink out of a coconut or something. Oh. All right. Take me there. <laughs> no. Take me with you, Woodward. It's my holiday. <laughs> it's my holiday. Me, Mr. Woodward. I want to say Bob. Bob Woodward. Bob. Uh, on the day that Woodward left on his vacation, another key player in the scandal would come into the frame. This happened when, quote, uh, the Long Island afternoon paper, Newsday, which is another one that seemed to be in on the story. Not a lot of 
the mainstream media seem to be in it as much as Washington Post. The mainstream. Typical. <laughs> but a few, I think the New York Times seems to have been in it a bit mm-hmm. and Newsday, but it does seem like the Washington Post was the biggest player. Um, so anyway, when the Long Island afternoon paper Newsday reported that the former White House aide named Gordon Liddy, who had been working as a lawyer for the campaign committee, had been fired by John Mitchell in June for refusing to answer FBI questions about Watergate. And they're like, oh, who's this Liddy guy? Gordon Liddy. Interesting. Three days later, the higher-ups at the Post called Bernstein back said, stories a go again. Only three days later, they had the break for. The New York Times had a story linking Liddy to one of the burglars, Bernard Barker, and things were heating up again. Is Woodward on holiday? Yeah, Woodward's on holiday, so he's he's about to come back going, well, all right. I guess we're doing it again. Uh, through all of this, the FBI were also conducting their own investigation, although it sounds like CIA were not making that easy, but they were supposedly having a wide-ranging investigation of their own. I am focusing a bit more on the journalist investigation because it is probably better documented because they wrote a book about it, mm. and that's the document that I'm mainly using. Yes. <laughs> um, anyhow, the work they'd been doing meant that Woodward and Bernstein and the FBI had now identified two co-conspirators in the burglary, Hunt and Liddy. The investigation took Bernstein down to Miami, where he was collaborating with an investigator employed by a Miami district attorney. This is one of the many leads. He's he's bouncing all the way around the country. One thing they, they talk about a bit in the book is that he has – uh, this ability to always make his plane, but he always gets there at the nick of time. He's always stressful. He's always dashing onto the plane at the last second. And that's what he did on this uh, time as well when he went down to Miami. When he was down there working with this uh, investigator, they found a $25,000 check, which he was able to connect to creep with one of the burglars, Bernard Barker. So directly from one of the burglars to... The committee for the re-election. Twenty-five thousand dollars. And how did he find this check? With these, walk into a bank and say, "Hello, <laughs> yeah. any checks cashed in the, any of these people's names lately?" And they're like, oh, sir, please write this way. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, check out the back. Yeah, want to yeah. see the want to see the vault? Here's the keys. Yeah, go. We're gonna go go at the back. Drop them back when you uh, when you're done, though. Okay. Yeah. We've only got eighteen copies of that key. <laughs> we were about to go for a sandwich. So. All right. This one, he was working with. An investigator who was uh, working with the, a Miami district attorney. So they had some ins to get get information that they needed. Even, you know, in the, so into the vault of the bank? Yeah. Yeah. With the keys. <laughs> um, this was the first time the Post was able to directly link the burglary and the Nixon campaign funds. They also found evidence of many more tens of thousands of dollars being involved. The following day, on August the 1st, the Post published a story titled Bug Suspect Got Campaign Funds. And part of the article reads, the check was made out by a Florida bank to Kenneth H. Dahlberg, the president's campaign finance chairman for the Midwest. So very directly linking um, to the uh, campaign finance there. Dahlberg said that last night that in early April, he turned the check over to the treasurer of the committee for the re-election of the president or to Morris Stans himself. Stan's another guy, another one of the big players. I don't talk about him too much, but he's like one of the money men. He's holding a lot of this cash, this secret sort of slush fund cash. Stan's former Secretary of Commerce under Mr. Nixon is now the finance chief of the president's re-election effort. 
Dahlberg said he didn't have the vaguest idea how the check got into the bank account of the real estate firm owned by Bernard Barker, one of the break-in suspects, and Stans could not be reached for comment. According to court testimony by government prosecutors, Barker's bank account, which in which the 25 grand was deposited, was the same account from which Barker later withdrew a large number of $100 bills. About 53 of these $100 bills oh. were found on the five men after they were arrested at Watergate. So, that, you know, the, I guess that's why it was important that they were those uh, sequentially noted bills is because they were able to trace them <laughs> directly now through the re-election fund. That were basically it's sort of shows pretty clearly that well, they got the, the campaign, campaign funds. funds paid them to do this mm. bugging and and it goes all the way to the top. Uh, a lot of the money... <laughs> now, hang on. You've been saying that from the start. <laughs> well, you know, I've got a little bit of hindsight oh. up my sleeve. You should have been there, Matt. you got to crack this baby wide open. Yeah. Cracked it open. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of this money, they, they would be sending it down to Mexico. They had this Mexican guy put it in a bank account and then sending it back up, and that was how they were helping launder it. <laughs> but in this instance, it's, it was just a check. Ah, uh, Yes. That's easily traceable. So it doesn't sound like they didn't do too much to cover their tracks. No. Amazing. Um, God damn it. Well, Matt, this is an absolutely riveting tale, but would you mind if I interrupt you just for one moment? Please. And I've got to tell you and the good people at home that this week's episode is brought to them by ExpressVPN. Now, there are tons of VPN providers out there. You've probably heard of a couple of them, and some of you may have even used ExpressVPN before. And if you have, like me and you guys in the same room as me, you'll know that uh, it's a fantastic service. It's, simply put, the best VPN on the market. And here's why. Tell me, Dave. I use it every day, but I want you to tell me why it's so good. Because sometimes it just sort of sits working in the background. I don't even know what it's doing. What's it doing for me? Well, it connects automatically and you don't worry about it. But it doesn't log your data. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. Which is the opposite of what you want. What, is Nixon working for them? (laughs) Sounds like it goes all the way to the top. Yeah. Another great thing about ExpressVPN is its speed. Other VPNs, a lot of those, slow your connection down and make your device sluggish. Release the slug-ish. <laughs> but I've been using ExpressVPN for over a year now. And my internet speeds are blazing fast. I'm flying through... <laughs> so much porn! <laughs> my so porn, fast! Porn is on warp speed over here. <laughs> I you can't see anything, it's blurry. <laughs> because of the speed, got to say that. Yeah, it's not blurred out. The other thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from those other pesky, shitty VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything. Like you said, Matt, it just fires up in the background, either on your phone or your desktop or your laptop. It's just always there. It's happening. You're protected all the time. I love that because I sometimes I forget that i got to keep safe out there. It's a dangerous world. <laughs> and luckily, these guys are looking after me. Damn right. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. So, to protect yourself with the VPN that we use and trust, use our link expressvpn.com slash do go on today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash do go on, expressvpn.com slash do go on, and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That sounds like value. Now, back to the report that I assume you wrote whilst using ExpressVPN. I did. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. i got to get something off my chest. Okay. I ate... Your last biscuit. I was saving them for my wedding. That has been stressed. <laughs> that has been stressing me out. I'm so sorry. I feel a lot better to get that off my chest. You know, keeping things bottled up can affect people negatively, and that had been affecting me. And that feel that's a weight off my shoulder. Yeah, it was delicious. I'm not sorry, but I did take the last biscuit he, that he was saving for his wedding. I didn't know that. <laughs> That is upsetting to hear, but I think I'm going to have to get some uh, positive coping skills, learn to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's very convenient. It's flexible. You can fit it around your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You too can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com D-G-O today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash D-G-O. So on the 15th of September, indictments were handed down by a grand jury to the five men arrested at the Watergate, as well as Hunt and Liddy, who are now seen as being key planners in it all as well. Um, According to the book, the seven men were charged with as many as eight separate counts each, all related to conspiracy, burglary, and the federal wiretapping statute prohibiting electronic interception of oral communications. Bernstein and Woodward were despondent that the charges didn't go further and didn't take down anyone higher up the chain, despite mounting evidence. They're like, why? This is all small stuff. Why aren't they... Like the break-in was big news and that kicked it all off, but it wasn't the biggest thing. What it revealed was... Went all the way to the top. Okay. <laughs> so you keep saying that, but I'm still not entirely sure what it means. The top, right up the top. Of the, a tree? In the White House, uh-huh. uh, the more powerful that you are, the yeah. higher level you're on. So How many the, levels are there on the White I think House? There's like, I think there's like 14. Right. And if there's 14 I people in there. the White House floor plan, don't you think I'd end up on a list? Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it unless you... Using ExpressVPN. Woodward continued to communicate with his anonymous source. Deep throat. Uh, According to the book, his identity was unknown to anyone else. Woodward knew him. He knew who he was, but he did not, even Bernstein, even his editors, he didn't tell anyone. He's literally meeting him in a car park. Yes. And this is how it all went down. This This was their system. His identity was unknown to anyone else. He could be contacted only on very important occasions. Woodward had promised he would Queen's never. birthday. Yeah, New exactly. Day. <laughs> yeah. Most public holidays. Yeah, he wanted a penalty, right? <laughs> I don't blame him. Uh, so Woodward had promised he would never identify him or his position to anyone. And further, he had agreed never to quote the man even as an anonymous source. That was always, you know, that's underlined all the time. Um the discussions would be only to confirm information that had been obtained elsewhere and to add some perspective. So basically he's just got this guy who knows the whole story pretty much and if you go to him and you say, is this right? And he will say, yeah, you're on the right track. Keep looking in this way. Yeah. Uh, but he won't, Follow the yeah. money, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Yeah. 
Uh, Just uses these catchphrases. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Bingo. You got it. As You're out of here. Stepping on their cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, better, better, better. Better up. And you're like, I don't I'm uh, sorry, you've lost me at that one. Oh, <laughs> uh, let me just say, Woodward, strike three. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. All right, I'll call Babe Ruth. Yeah. yeah. Am I in trouble or something? Uh, uh, it goes on in the book to say, in newspaper terminology, the fact that he wouldn't be quoted or anything, it meant that the discussions were deep background. That's what it was known as. Woodward explained the arrangement to the managing editor, Howard Simons, one day, uh, he had taken to calling the source my friend. That's what um, Woodward was calling. My friend told me. My friend agrees. <laughs> yeah. That's what You're all right. We get it, Woodward. You got a friend. Okay. Not all of us are so lucky, all right? <laughs> but Simmons dubbed him Deep Throat, the title of a celebrated pornographic movie, and the name stuck. Uh, a celebrated pornographic really movie. celebrated. Hmm. I think it was a, it's a big, like it was a mainstream box office hit at the time. Right. Okay. Which was... But it's pornographic. Hmm. Well, it was, this is the golden age of pornography. Oh, yeah. And I guess he's, he's just taken deep background. Deep throat. Let's, let's see what he's done. Uh, initially, the two spoke only over the phone, but soon deep throat said it wasn't safe to do that anymore and said if they were to talk in person, uh, if they were to talk, it had to be in person. The book continues. Deep Throat didn't want to use the phone even to set up the meetings. He suggested that Woodward open the drapes in his apartment as a signal. Deep Throat could check each day. If the drapes were open, the two would meet that night. But Woodward liked uh, to let the sun in at times <laughs> and suggested another signal. <laughs> yeah, that does make sense. I've got plants, man. He's got to tell his, his family not to open the, the drapes under yeah. any circumstance. It's funny that you say he's got plants because that's what he used. Uh, instead, when Woodward had an urgent inquiry to make, he would move a flower pot with a red flag to the rear of his balcony. During the day, Deep Throat would check to see if the pot had been moved. If it had, he and Woodward would meet at around 2 a.m. in a pre-designated underground parking garage. Woodward would leave his sixth floor apartment and walk down the back stairs into an alley. Walking and taking two or more taxis to the garage, he could be reasonably sure that no one had followed him. In the garage, the two could talk for an hour or more without being seen. So that was the system. That uh, makes me anxious. Yeah. And it, really, it was a similar sort of thing again in X-Files. He puts a an X. Mm, he tapes a black X in the window when he wants to meet. Wow. And Mulder puts the, yeah, yeah, that's his signal. And then maybe puts a lamp over it, so it's quite obvious. Yeah, yeah so it's similar. Again, that feels like that's probably where this, it came from. Mm. Um, so it sounds like that's complicated anyway, right? But walking and taking two or more taxis uh, was the best case scenario. If taxis were hard to find, as they often were at night, it might take Woodward almost two hours to get there on foot, which he had to do sometimes. You just had to two-hour walk. I mean, he'd always four-hour round trip. He'd always have to leave two hours just in case yeah. he had to walk. So have to leave at midnight, just in case. I guess. Does he have a family? I don't think so. Was <laughs> <laughs> going out for another four-hour walk. I would have left. Going him. to see my friend. <laughs> I would have left him after the second walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. P.S. Baby, keep those drapes closed. <laughs> Frustratingly, on two occasions, the meeting had been set and then the man had not shown up. A depressing and frightening experience as Woodward had waited for more than an hour alone in an underground garage in the middle of the night. On one occasion, he thought he'd been, he was being followed as well. He was shitting himself. Oh, my God. Um, uh, this is from the book still. If Deep Throat wanted a meeting, on the other hand, 
which was rare but did happen sometimes, there was a different procedure. Each morning, Woodward would check page 20 of his New York Times delivered to his apartment house before 7am. If a meeting was requested, the page number would be circled and the hands of a clock indicating the time of the rendezvous would appear in a lower corner of the page. Woodward did not know how Deep Throat got to his paper, but he did. He, if, I guess he just... He was the White House paper boy. He was the paper boy. All the way to the top. <laughs> <laughs> paper boy sits just above... President. President. Yeah. <laughs> uh, according to Britannica, with Deep Throat's help, Woodward and Bernstein kept up a steady stream of scoops demonstrating. So this is where I'm, I'm skipping through a lot of stuff here. Uh, the direct involvement of Nixon's intimates, which is, I think, what they mean to say close allies in Watergate activities. No, it's his underwear. Underwear. Yeah. What is he wearing? Is he wearing G-strings? <laughs> Nixon's underwear was involved <laughs> in Watergate yeah, activities? Yeah. They're all, the crew can go, but they've all got to wear my G-bands. <laughs> <laughs> uh they also, they also found that the Watergate wiretapping and break-in had been financed through illegally laundered campaign contributions and in a blockbuster October 10 front-page article that the Watergate bugging incident stemmed from a massive campaign of political spying and sabotage conducted on behalf of President Nixon's re-election and directed by officials of the White House, part of a, quote, basic strategy of the Nixon re-election effort. Uh, this article, this huge bombshell, what seemingly bombshell article, uh, was titled FBI Finds Nixon Aids Sabotage Democrats. I'll catch you on. And it went on to say, intelligence work is normal during a campaign and is said to be carried out by both political parties. But federal investigators said what they uncovered being done by the Nixon forces is unprecedented in scope and intensity. They said it included following members of Democratic candidates' families and assembling dossiers on their personal lives, forging letters and distributing them under the candidates' letterheads, leaking false and manufactured items to the press, throwing campaign schedules into disarray, seizing confidential campaign files and investigating the lives of dozens of Democratic campaign workers. In addition, investigators said that the activities included planting provocateurs in the ranks of organizations expected to demonstrate at the Republican and Democratic conventions. Uh, there were, it was a big team. It, certainly there were people across the country working in amongst it. Um, but amazingly, this story, this huge bombshell story, didn't create that much havoc at all. Uh, as the election campaign, and this is all like in the closing stages of an election campaign, wow. you'd be like, well, that's going to hurt yeah. <laughs> Nixon. No. But as the election campaign continued to ramp up, not many other media outlets were really following the case, apart from some of those ones I was talking about before. And the White House continued to attack the Post coverage as biased and misleading from a liberal newspaper, making out like the Post was basically working for the Democratic election campaign. Fake news, mainstream mm. media, that sort mm. of stuff. Uh, and I think um, the speaker, not the speaker, the spokes, what, what, what was his name? The press secretary. Press secretary. I think he was he was pretty much on the front foot with a lot yeah, of this sort right. of stuff. Uh, in the run up to election day, Bernstein and Woodward were looking forward to it being all over. They're like, we just want to get this election out of the way now. They were increasingly frustrated, running into one stone wall after another. As they got closer, the election insiders weren't talking to them much anymore. Uh, though multiple suggested they would open up again after Nixon's inevitable election victory, which he seemed to be cruising towards. Mm. 
None of the stories published by the Post seemed to make a dent uh, in the Nixon campaign. The general public loved him and trusted him, so much so that amongst the Post's coverage, an election eve poll showed respondents overwhelmingly trusted Nixon over Democratic candidate and opponent George McGovern. That's so funny because now, post 50 years later... I don't know about you guys, but I think of him. You th- imagine him as so untrustworthy. Yeah, you yeah, think absolutely. of cor- corruption. But like, like yeah. it's like, oh, he was really, really popular. Yeah, so and trusted. Popular. Amazing. Um, the White House's insistent that the Post was quietly working for Go- McGovern's campaign must have frustrated Woodward, because according to the book, Woodward was a registered Republican, um, but he did not vote. In this election, he couldn't decide whether he was more uneasy with the disorganization and naive idealism of McGovern's campaign or with Richard Nixon's conduct. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I don't know. This McGovern guy, he seems to really be a bit idealist. And Nixon, who I know is super dodgy, I don't want to vote for a breather. <laughs> so it's tough. Ooh. One of them's disorganized. Got to remember that. So equally bad. Oh, There's yeah. bad people on both sides. Uh, and he believed that not voting enabled him to be more objective in reporting on Watergate, which I think maybe that makes sense to me on some level. Uh, but that view Bernstein regarded as silly. Bernstein voted for McGovern unenthusiastically and unhesitatingly, <laughs> <laughs> then bet in the office pool that Nixon would win with 54%. He's like, it's going to be a strong win to Nixon. And Nixon did go on to win the 1972 election. But with an even bigger landslide, he won. Guess how many of the states he won? Um, more than twelve. Yes, for sure. Well, this could be slower than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty-four, forty-nine. What? Wow! What? Holy shit! McGovern only won Massachusetts. I know. I'm like, well, I was looking at the map. I'm like, whoa! It's just a full red map with this little blip of blue on the um uh I was gonna say top right, the north east. That looked at me. <laughs> uh, but I mean wow. in in uh the popular vote it was forty seven million to twenty nine million. Huge. About, it's about sixty a bit over sixty percent, much like this topic one in a landslide. Uh-huh. Uh according to the book, the self confidence that flowed from the electoral triumph had emboldened the president's men. The post-election offensive was led by Charles Colson, who we talked about before, the 41-year-old former Marine Corps captain and White House commandant on political warfare. About a week after the election, Colson travelled to Maine to address the New England Society of Newspaper Editors. He opened the speech by noting that his home state, Massachusetts, was the only one that had gone for George McGovern. The president, he joked, had decided to mend some fences and locate a new federal installation in Massachusetts, a nuclear waste disposal center in Harvard Square. (laughs) Bit of a funny joke there. Uh, (laughs) Assuring his audience that the First Amendment is alive and well in Washington. Which one's that? That Uh, free speech? uh, Thou shalt not. (laughs) You you know the 25th? You don't know the first? Well, the 25th is different. And it came up in the news this week. (laughs) Meant. Okay, let's see here. here we go. First Amendment, the old first. Hey, Numero I'm pleading, uno. Pleading the first, though. Fifth is where you don't have to talk, I think. Yeah. yeah. Incriminate yourself. Um, it protects freedom of speech. That's the first. Oh, uh, yep. Um, yes. 
So he was assuring his audience that the First Amendment is alive and well in Washington. He accused the post of McCarthyism and called Bradley the self-appointed leader of that tiny little fringe of arrogant elitists. Oh, Bradley, sorry, is one of the posts. He's another key player that I hardly mentioned, but he's one of the big dogs at the post. Gotcha. Uh, he calls Bradley the self-appointed leader of that tiny little fringe of arrogant elitists who affect the healthy mainstream of American journalism with their own peculiar view of the world. And my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. He says, and the rest of the country isn't just sitting out here waiting to be told what they're supposed to think. It's funny. It's like it's stuff that you still you hear all the time now still. We, you know, this is all fake news kind of stuff. Well, we know Colson knew he was talking shit as well because he, he knew that a lot of their stories or their stories were basically all spot on. But he was saying, oh, lies. Yeah, there's funny elitists over here. Yeah. Uh, the journalists were frustrated, obviously, but not deterred, and their investigation continued in earnest. They spoke to many more key insiders and continued to break the case open. I won't go into all the details of all these people. There's so many. There was a bookkeeper who was a big key partner. She gave a lot of great info. And uh, there was someone on – they were talking to someone in a jury at one point who they weren't really meant to and they got in a bit of trouble. But it's okay. Now. <laughs> not too much trouble. Anyway, I'm not going into any of that. So um, the audio book of all the president's man is great. The voice actor in it's great. He's got it. He's got a, He's that big, slightly gravelly American voice. <laughs> Uh, and he does he does a slight Nixon. He doesn't go full Nixon like I can and do. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think it's about knowing your limitations. Yeah. And if you if you can't go full Nixon, don't go full Nixon. Yeah. No. So that that audio book goes for about ten hours, and I at a one point I'm like, oh, if I just keep summarizing all of it, so will our episode. It's already probably going to be a longish one. Um, but anyway, yeah. So definitely recommend listening to that. And there's there's a movie of that as well if people are keen. With mm. a pretty hot cast. Oh. Uh, anyhow, one key player I will talk about is a judge named John Sirica. He was the one who didn't really. He, he sort of told him off a bit for talking about Jura. Up, up, up. Uh, but he didn't sell him out. Naughty. Um, so he was the chief judge of the United States District Court for the District of Columbia. According to Britannica, the trial of the five arrested burglars, so he was the judge in this case, and two accomplices began in federal court less than two weeks before Nixon's second term inauguration. The relatively narrow indictment on charges of burglary, conspiracy, and violation of federal wiretapping laws itself spoke to the success of the White House in containing the scandal. This is what frustrated the journalists. They're like, these charges are such small time for what, you know, this is just the tiny tip of the iceberg sort of thing. The presiding judge, John J. Sirica, however, kept badgering defendants and witnesses on matters not covered in the indictment, namely the financial and institutional involvement of the White House and the re-election campaign. Sounds like, I don't know how ethical or how, I think he was sort of using his court to almost have his own um, investigation, which wasn't directly linked to it. So, I, yeah, I imagine that would have annoyed many people as well, but he helped uh, crack this thing wide open. Hmm. Uh, except for Liddy and McCord, all the defendants pleaded guilty, and after a 16-day trial, Liddy and McCord were also found guilty. Uh, Britannica goes on to say that the judge's tactics landed a big win when he was handed an extraordinary letter by McCord prior to sentencing, saying in the letter he explained that the defendants had been pressured to plead guilty and perjure themselves about the involvement of higher-ups. 
On March 23, Sirica read the letter in open court. So this is now McCord, this ex-CIA guy. He's the he's the government man. He's gone. He's confessed basically, and said we've been we've been thrown under the bus. But this is bigger than what is going on here. Um, in the meantime, the Senate had voted seventy-seven to nothing to set up a special investigating committee looking into abuses in the nineteen seventy-two presidential campaign. The committee was to be overseen by a well-respected conservative North Carolina Democrat, Samuel. Irvin Jr., North Carolina. Should not have mentioned that, but they do <laughs> have blue fire engines. Yes. Uh, with Im- Sorry for new listeners. I, that's just a fun fact I like to drop in when North Carolina comes up. Um, and I should double check it. I never have. Um, <laughs> with impending indictments of many of his top aides, Nixon announced the results of his own investigation. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, and you know what? You know, it's interesting. I've been investigating for a while now, and um, I didn't find anything. Oh, my God. And if anything, I actually found out that my penis is above average. <laughs> yeah. I found it's bigger than even I thought. Even I thought I was being very humble about it, apparently, and I also found $2 in an old jacket. So <laughs> I've been investigating all pockets. Uh, case closed. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's, that's not that far off. Uh, I never am. His own investigation (laughs) found no one in this administration, presently employed, was involved in this very bizarre incident. (laughs) Honestly, it's weird. I don't even understand it. It's so weird. But certainly none of us were involved. And I did a pretty thorough investigation to figure that out. According to Britannica, on April 17th, presidential spokesman Ziegler infamously told the press that all previous White House statements about Watergate were now, quote, inoperative. Sort of like saying not canon anymore, I guess. It's a strange... So anything that we've said before, don't worry about that. This is the real story. Yeah, forget. Just none of that counts anymore. I I guess it's it's a weirdly phrased inoperative. Uh, Two weeks later, on April 30th, 1973, Nixon gave a major televised address announcing the resignations of little-known White House legal aide named John Wesley Dean III, who's another big player. He also helped break this thing wide open. Uh, His two closest aides, uh, his chief chief of staff, Haldeman, and John D. Enrolickman, and Attorney General Richard Kleindienst. Nixon protested his... I wine dine, I climb dines. <laughs> Nixon protested his own innocent and promised cooperation with future investigations, even while including legalistic language that implied strong limits to that cooperation. Right, so he, so the, these other people, he's, they've resigned and he's, well, we got rid of the bad yeah, apples. Yeah, he's, he's just slowly throwing more people under the bus. And, um, yeah, it, is, it does have that kind of feel like he's going... Um, yeah, uh, you know he's in a hot air balloon and he's running out of sandbags to drop. <laughs> yeah, he's about to hit the ground. He's going to have to dump himself eventually. Uh, this is what he said. This is a bit long to do his voice. I'll, I'll start off and then I'll go into a neutral Matt uh, accent. <laughs> I want to talk to you tonight about my heart. <laughs> there, there had been an effort to conceal the facts, both from the public, from you, and from me. I wanted to be fair. Today, in one of the most difficult decisions of my presidency, I accepted the resignations of two of my closest associates, Bob Haldeman and John Anne Lackman, 
two of the finest public servants it has been my privilege to know. The easiest course would be me to blame those who I delegated the responsibility to run this campaign. But that would be the cowardly thing to do. Brackets, I'm a hero. Uh, in any organisation, the man at the top must bear the responsibility. Wait, hang on, is he going to... Sounds like he's going to resign. No, it's still very much sounding like he's saying, I, you know, I didn't know what they were up to. No, but he's going to be he's saying he's bearing the responsibility. That means, I guess, ultimate responsibility. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, good. So we're, you know, this is all solved. So it's my responsibility to accept their resignation. <laughs> yeah, I think that's basically what he said. That responsibility, therefore, belongs here in this office. I accept it. It was the system that has brought the facts to light. A system that in this case has included a determined grand jury, honest prosecutors, a courageous judge, John Sirica, and vigorous free press. I must now turn my full attention once again to the larger duties of this office. I owe it to this great office that I hold, and I owe it to you, to our country. There can be no whitewash at the White House. Two wrongs don't make a right. He just started like losing his mind. <laughs> love America. I love America. God bless America. And God bless each and every one of you. Ice cream for all. <laughs> <laughs> a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he he um, lost his mind. But he's still he's just going. But he's just said that people closer and closer to me. Um, uh, they're going under the bus. But he's like, but I I'm, have to accept uh, full responsibility. But now I have to go back and do my job. Yeah, I got to do my job. That's what being president is: is doing the job. Uh, according to the book, White House Press Secretary Ronald Ziegler publicly apologized to the Washington Post. This was uh, the I think the next day. Uh, and two of its reporters for his earlier criticism of their investigation, investigative reporting of the West Watergate conspiracy. At the White House briefing, a reporter asked Ziegler if the White House didn't owe the Post an apology. Ziegler said, in thinking of it all at this point in time, yes, I would like to apologize to the Post, and I would apologize to Mr. Woodward and Mr. Bernstein. We would all have to say that mistakes were made in terms of comments, I was over-enthusiastic in my comments about the post, particularly if you look at them in the context of developments that have taken place. <laughs> now that I know that I was, they were right, I guess, <laughs> that context. Mm. Uh, when we are wrong, we are wrong, as we were in this case. As Ziegler finished, he started to say, but, but then he was cut off by a reporter who said, now don't take it back, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> He was about to butt it. That's pretty. Um, apparently, I think Woodward called him and, and thanked him for the apology. Then when Irving, so now the big committee hearing is, is kicking off, this big Senate committee, and this began on May 17th, and they were fully televised by three major networks. Uh, the country was glued to the coverage. According to Britannica, trading volume shot down on the New York Stock Exchange Housewives threatened not to do a stitch of housework for as long as the hearings lasted. College, college students gathered around TV sets in corridors and uh, uh, between and sometimes during classes. High school TVs set up TVs in the cafeteria for all-day civics lessons. Never have I enjoyed watching television more than the past two weeks, one Washington Post letter writer testified. With the spectacle of a high human drama interwoven with the finest possible example of the democratic process uh. at work. Unfolding before my eyes hour after hour with no rehearsal, no canned laughter, very little commentary, bracket, none needed, <laughs> and best of all, almost no commercial interruption. That person sucks. <laughs> God bless America. I've never seen better television. Really? 
Really? Hours and hours and hours of people going, um, so uh, on this date. Uh, oh, sorry, let me just find, find that note here, <laughs> flicking through pages. Fascinating. Apparently, though, Britannica says the feeling was not universal. Uh, universal Sticklers, including independent prosecutor Archibald Cox, who we'll talk about soon, decried the unfairness of what he characterised as trying the principles in the media. He's like, this shouldn't be this shouldn't be a trial by media. This should be done behind closed doors sort of thing. Game show and soap opera fans also complained about the preemption of their favourite programs that were taken off the air so that they could watch another fun game show. People, people talking slow. <laughs> Yay. Uh, most significantly for the later ideological direction of the country, though hardly noticed by elites at the time, large portions of Americans derided the entire business as a political witch hunt and would continue to do so into the 21st century. So they're saying, and I think, I guess they're saying that sort of led into some of this um, Trumpism in the very divided country now, maybe, is how I kind of read that. Uh, still, some 35 million or so Americans watched the Irvin hearings at one time or another. So a lot of, you know, more than all of Australia's population watched it at some point. Mm. So much came out of the hearing, including in the spring of 1969, National Security Advisor Henry Kissinger wiretapped his staffers. In 1970, the White House set up an illegal money laundering operation to fund its favoured Senate candidates. Uh, it was revealed that as the 1972 campaign season rolled around, roving cells of saboteurs devised ways to weaken individual Democratic presidential campaigns while making it look like the campaigns were actually sabotaging each other. The questioning of young Nixon aides left senators incredulous with their explanations that ends justify the means morality had become semi-official White House policy. Like that the young aides weren't, they were like, yeah, we did some illegal stuff. Mm, what was the problem? But that was... The point, right? I don't, yeah. a, I don't see a problem here. Yeah, why, why, why are you even asking me about mm. it? Uh, another continuing thread was the examination of illegal sources of uh, the money that funded the various clandestine operations. And the drama was further intensified by ongoing investigation of the White House's attempts at stifling the panel's investigation, even as it was still underway. So the White House was still trying to wow. make it harder, even... I guess that yeah, they must have seen the writing on the wall. But still, he was he was holding on to power yeah. through all of this. Uh, the committee tried to get to the bottom of how much Nixon knew, or as Vice Chairman Baker put it, "What did the president know, and when did he know it?" Oh, uh, see, that's an important question. People don't always ask. That sounds like another one of those game shows. <laughs> what did the president know, and when did he know it? Right after this, <laughs> uh, main, uh, Nixon maintained basically he knew nothing. Sure. Hey, the buck stops with me, but I didn't know about it. Yeah, what's... Oh, wow, what happened? I God, don't know. I mean, it's, it's impossible to do something about it if I don't know about it, which I didn't. Mm. Otherwise, I would have done something about it. I had my fingers in my ears a lot. <laughs> la, 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 la. Uh, but then on June the 25th, 1973, this idea was thrown into doubt when recently resigned White House aide John Wesley Dean III gave a seven-hour statement followed by five days of cross-examination. According to Britannica... Dean's account established the president as the prime mover behind the scandal and cover-up. However, these revelations were greeted with scepticism by many. It appeared that the entire extraordinary business would devolve into a stalemate. The president's word against one of his aides. This only lasted until the following month, though, when on the 16th of July, former White House staffer Alexander P. Butterfield revealed that Nixon secretly had conversations in his offices recorded. All of them. 
All oh. conversations in his offices were recorded and all those tapes <laughs> were sitting there. Holy shit. He was very apparently a very paranoid guy. And so that's what a lot of this stuff was about. He was cruising to victory and he was still so paranoid about it all. And that's why he had all these. Mm. I mean, this whole thing that he was doing sounds like it was born out of some paranoia. So right? he's presumably making these recordings in case other people screw him over. Yes. But now he's just screwed, he screwed himself. himself yeah. Oh, no. The Senate committee, as well as Judge Sirica and an independent special prosecutor, I mentioned before, Archibald Cox, all subpoenaed the tapes. But Nixon refused to provide them. He said, Executive privilege. I don't have to. I'm president. I don't have to do it. I got executive. Surely you would have destroyed the tapes as well, right? Are we wondering why the fuck he didn't do that? Yeah. Like yeah. On day one of this. Oh yeah. I don't. That, yeah. That's what I would wonder as well. Right. But he said. I, I I'm said I don't recall any tapes. Uh, but yeah. Instead, he said, "No, I'm president, so I don't have to." He said, "I'll I'll provide written summaries of the tapes instead." And written uh, summaries where I can redact anything that I want to. Yeah, or just make it up. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> this offer was rejected by Cox. Anyway, so um, here's a conversation with uh, this guy. So he came in. He said, hello, Mr. President. I said, hello, how are you? He says, wow, your penis looks incredibly big right. today. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> way way bigger, bigger than average, maybe. <laughs> Even bigger than I remember, and it was already quite big. Yeah. My goodness, Mr. President. Uh, Mr. President, do you want to explain to us why your penis is bad during this meeting? <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> well, that's what I was trying to protect myself from all along. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I embarrassingly one time my fly was undone <laughs> my, and I flopped the chop. My massive hog just poked through. <laughs> I, I'm really horror. sorry about that. I'm really sorry that the hog it got out, you know. It's very distracting for everybody else. I understand. Yeah, like, yeah, sometimes the hog's got to get out of the sty. <laughs> it cannot be tamed. It's good to refer to your... Underpants as a sty. sty. It's either that or a pig pen. Yeah. Sty's good. Uh, sty's the limit. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then on October 20th, Nixon took the extraordinary step of ordering his attorney general, Elliot Richardson, to sack special prosecutor Cox. Cox is going, I need the tapes. Nixon goes, let's sack Cox. Surely that does not look good for you publicly. Yeah. Uh, this kicked off what became dramatically known as the Saturday Night Massacre, where both Richardson and the Deputy Attorney General, William D. Ruckelshaus, resigned instead of carrying out the order. Holy shit. So Cox was finally dismissed by a solicitor general named Robert Bork. Uh, According to Britannica, it was another extraordinary historical moment. Many responsible American officials literally feared a White House coup d'etat. One day coup d'etat. Amongst all this, on October the 10th, 1973, Vice President Spiro Agnew, who I haven't mentioned at all and never heard of before. No. uh, He resigned before pleading no contest to charges of tax evasion and money laundering. It's just uh, it was fish rot to the head or whatever. It's just like everyone involved seems to be a bit, bit dicey. Wow. Uh, this opened the door for Gerald Ford to become the new vice president. <gasps> Do you like beer and nachos? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Homer. <laughs> uh, Ford accepted the offer, apparently telling his wife that the vice presidency would be a nice way to end his political career. He had told her uh, before this he'd been trying to become the majority leader in the House, or was it a senator? I think in the House. 
and um, but he was the minority leader. So he he was campaigning for a long time, trying to get more Republican numbers in so that he'd be the majority leader. And then he told his wife, I'm going to have one last crack at it at the next election. After that, I'm retiring. And then this happened. Oh, no. He's like, well, oh, vice president. That's, that's not bad. That's not a bad way to finish uh, up. Some would argue that's even better than being majority leader. So some would say. Some would say. Maybe less powerful. I don't know. I don't understand the system. I don't, I don't but it could be. It. I mean, I'm only Jeff Ford. I'm here for the title and that's all. Yeah. Um, public pressure grew over the following days, leading to Nixon finally agreeing to handing over the nine tapes on October 23. Despite agreeing to hand over the nine tapes, he only handed over seven. And one of those tapes had a strange 18 and a half minute silent spot. Huh. <laughs> oh, I guess Maybe that- Richard was just sitting at his desk reading for a bit. Maybe no one was in the room. Yeah. Anybody think of that? Yeah, I don't understand why they don't even think of that. Why do you think it's so suspicious that people were chatting and then it goes really quiet for 18 minutes and then those same two people are chatting again? Yeah, so the last thing that's said before the silence is, so the illegal thing we're going to do is Mm. silence for eight and a half minutes and then, all right, we'll do that illegal thing. and then See you later. I don't know why he didn't eliminate the illegal part as well. Seems like even still he kind of incriminated himself. (laughs) Uh, In November at Disney World in Florida, the president told an audience of editors on national TV, I didn't realize this was a real quote, but it is, he told them in November, I am not a crook. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was just like a Simpsons thing or something. Uh, Formal impeachment proceedings were launched in May of 1974. That's like six months later. Yeah, it was dragged out a fair bit. And are they listening to the tapes in the... The hearing? Yeah, it's all it's all just oh my moving God. slow, I think, if I've got my dates right. No guarantee on that. Um, and Nixon was made to hand over further tapes, according to Britannica. On August 5th, the president supplied transcripts of three tapes that clearly implicated him in the cover-up. With these revelations, Nixon's last support in Congress evaporated. Basically, the Republicans came in and said, I think that was sort of saying the, the impeachment vote will get up. Yeah. Um, the so jig just is up. fall on your sword. Uh, and he announced his re- resignation on August the 8th, stating that he no longer had a strong enough political base with which to govern. Nixon left office at noon the following day on August the 9th. Uh, when Nixon resigned, Gerald Ford, hey, Homer, <laughs> uh, was sworn. It's, isn't that weird? That's all we know about him. He appeared <laughs> on The Simpsons once right at the end of an episode. Yeah. Uh, well, now we know this about him as well. Mm. Nixon resigned. Gerald Ford was sworn in as the 38th president of the United States. Not a bad way to finish his career. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> uh, and because- his wife's like, I just wanted to go to fucking what? Hawaii. I agree to the VP thing. but Yeah, but that was the final straw. I didn't agree to the P. <laughs> Now I'm the now I'm the FL. I'm the uh, FL now. What? He made history, I mean, by becoming president, but he also made history becoming the first president to have gotten the gig without having first won an election as either president or vice president. Sometimes vice presidents had to step up to presidency, mm-hmm. but he he wasn't elected either way. Uh then on September the... And apparently it was still quite popular. Yeah, right. I was going to ask that. And then I thought, don't ask questions. Um, but that's good that they he was popular. Don't ask questions. I don't want to tell you where I work. It's definitely not the CIA, if that's what you're thinking. Uh, so then on September the 8th, Ford granted Nixon a full and unconditional pardon for any crimes he may have committed while president. May have committed. What? So, and then he can come out and be like, I killed 11 people. Yeah. 
And Ford's like, He was Whoa. fully pardoned. Fully pardoned, yeah. That Not everyone. Like Dolly Parton, too. Fully yeah, pardoned. Fully pardoned. <laughs> I never promised you. Were... No, that's a different thing. <laughs> Dolly, Dolly Parton sing a song about being pardoned in a rose garden? I don't think so. Oh, I've confused myself again. <laughs> So not so he was lucky in that way, um, but not everyone else was so lucky. The Watergate scandal resulted in sixty-nine government officials being charged, nice. and forty-eight being found guilty. What a nice amount! <laughs> uh, according to Britannica, by the time of the pardon, enough Americans had become convinced that Nixon was guilty of crimes that that when Ford had pardoned him as quid pro quo for becoming president, that was what they were thinking. Then the approval rating of the otherwise popular new president collapsed overnight. Yeah. And I was sort of, it sounded like that was kind of the end of his, that was the beginning of the end of it for him. Um, Nixon lived on. Uh, there's interviews you can watch with him where he's been like post-president, been a bit more open about stuff. Kind of, you know, I can't, I feel like I can't watch things. So I, oh, I watch and I go, hey, he seems all right. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got to, I, I feel. You would definitely end up in a cult. <laughs> yeah. I Dave would be leading it, but you'd be in it. Yeah. You'd be drinking the cool. He had some good ideas. <laughs> sure. Sure, he did some crimes, but I mean. He seems have, all right. Haven't we all? I'd have a beer with him. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he died, all good things must come to an end, and Nixon died in 1994. After which the rest of the tapes were released and are now available to the public. Apparently, people have been going through them and people still finding interesting t- tidbits. What? Uh, this one is the one that stood out to me the most. This is from Britannica again. Uh, including the discovery in these uh, tapes was that Nixon ordered the firebombing of the Washington, D.C. think tank, the Brookings Institution, which was never carried out in an attempt to remove records suggesting that he had conspired to sabotage the 1968 Paris peace talks so that his Democratic opponent in that year's presidential election, Vice President Hubert Humphrey, could not run on a record of having helped end the Vietnam War. So to help get a little edge in the election, he ordered a building be firebombed. Fucking hell. Whoa. Which it was never carried out. So I don't know if he had second thoughts or I don't know why it wasn't carried out. But Didn't have enough fire. That blew my mind. (laughs) Like, isn't it funny because you go crimes where it's like moving money around and stuff that hurt a lot of people in different ways, um, subverting justice and all these sort of things. These are bad things. But that's just like, you know. And you want to have a beer with this guy. Well, I forgot about that. (laughs) He seems all right. He seems all all right. Uh, before we finish up, I, I figure I should talk about the identity of Deep Throat. On oh. May 31st, 2005, it was <gasps> finally revealed. Um, Vanity Fair magazine identified a former top FBI official named Mark Felt as Deep Throat. He was the second in charge at FBI at the time. So he was he was a big dog. Wow. Uh, so how did he know all that? So he was, I mean, he was, the inve- FBI investigations were happening but they were being quashed a bit, if I'm using that word right. But he was he was keen to get the truth. So that's why he was sort of motivated to help the journalists a bit, I, is what I, wow. my reading of it is. Um, so Felt's identity as Washington's most celebrated secret source had been an object of speculation for more than 30 years, wrote Post reporter David Von Drell the next day. According to the Post, his true identity, the object of countless guesses over the years, remained secret until Vanity Fair's story. 
I'm the guy they call Deep Throat, felt told family members. He's so like he, an, he's he got an old man. He was telling people. I think, well, I think. Uh, once it was No, revealed. I think once it was out. That was sort of. And was was it out with his permission or was it like a, I think so, yeah. I think it was out with his permission. He was quite, I think he was in his 90s at this point. So even if he was saying it, his family were like, uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm want. Deep Throat. Yes. <laughs> All right, Grandpa, his yeah. teeth falling out. All right. Oh, okay, Grandpa. I'm Deep Throat. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and now everyone in the nursing homes yelling, I'm Deep Throat. It's like, oh, God. Oh, no, God. I'm the real Deep again. Throat. Oh, no. Here, have some jelly. Uh, Woodward wrote at the time, I was thankful for any morsel of information, confirmation or assistance felt gave me while Carl and I were attempting to understand the many-headed monster of Watergate. Because of his position virtually atop the chief investigative agency, his words and guidance had immense and at times even staggering authority. But as the Post noted, Woodward and Bernstein also expressed a deep uh, a concern that the deep throat story has over the years come to obscure the many other elements that went into exposing the Watergate story, including other sources, other investigators, high-impact Senate hearings, a shocking trove of secret White House tape recordings, and the decisive intervention of a unanimous U.S. Supreme Court. It feels like they're saying deep throat's getting too much credit. We did a lot of work, okay? That is what they're saying, but they're also <laughs> spreading it around. But, and I think um, Bernstein especially, because he never even talked to deep throat. Yeah. So he was like, I did a lot of work as well. Yeah. It wasn't just deep throat giving <laughs> yeah. Woodward stuff. He was only confirming something. How many already. times did you move a pot plant and then walk two hours to meet someone in a car park? That's the cool part of the story. Yes. Yeah. This, this is from Bernstein and sort of basically saying that Felt's role in all this can be overstated, is what Bernstein said. But he goes on to say, when we wrote the book, we didn't think his role would achieve such mythical dimensions. You see there that Felt slash Deep Throat largely confirmed information we had already gotten from other sources. So he confirmed it. He didn't. He wasn't yeah. the one. We got the info and then he helped confirm it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I mean, the, the name Deep Throat definitely would have helped on that as well. And the fact that it turned out to be second in charge at the FBI. Yeah, huge. Uh, fun fact to finish. Well, fact to finish. Thank you. I'll decide. The term follow the money was popularized by the 1976 <laughs> <bored>. film <laughs> All the President's Men, which was based on the book by Bernstein and Woodward. The film stars Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman as Woodward and Bernstein. Uh, and the phrase is now shorthand for suggesting corruption can be uncovered by examining money transfers between parties. Follow the money. That's that's a fact. <laughs> that was fu- that's cool. How was that fun? How was that fun? Well, you'd a, you'd a, say that around at a dinner party, would you? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's exactly what Wayland Smithers says when they're parodying it as well. Follow the money. Follow He's the money. Like chomping on a cigarette. Follow the money. <laughs> Yeah, so I thought that was fun because I didn't know that. But Well, it's not your call to make. It isn't my call. You do grim facts. Yeah. There's nothing grim about that, though, surely, man. And I do fun No, ones. nothing grim. And there's nothing fun about it. That's that's true. That's the important point to make. Just, I believe it is a fact. It is a fact. <laughs> and I'm just uh, the fact guy, and I agree that that is just that is a, a plain fact. fact. That is a fact. It's just a fact. Dave. The, Dave. the film was a huge box office success as well. And apparently... Um, the book that they were writing initially, Bernstein and Woodward, was going to be more about it was going to be less about their investigation and more about the uh, what Nixon was up to. 
and said it was sort of more from their perspective and how the investigation unfolded. But then as they were into writing it, Redford approached them and said, I want to make a film out of it. If you tell it from this perspective, I'll, I'll buy the oh, wow. I'll option it. So they changed the direction then apparently. Huh. Yeah. And so it, it had a budget of eight and a half million and it made over 70 million. Wow. That's so a big, big hit. I'm going to watch it. I was planning on watching it before we did this episode. Yeah, I haven't heard of it, but it's that's a good cast. You're right, a hot cast. Hot cast. Robert Redford, god damn. Even as an old man, you're like, oh. Yeah. I would. Never not hot. <laughs> Never <laughs> not. Not his, not, not his value. Not his not value. Not his value at all, of course. But it doesn't hurt. <laughs> no. I mean, you wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no. Did you guys know much of that story? No, I knew absolutely none of it. I knew none of it. Which well, is crazy. I knew it was. I knew it brought Nixon undone, and that yeah, was it. Yeah, that was it. And I wonder if because this won in a landslide in the voting. Yeah. So I wonder if it was people also thinking that, like, I actually don't know anything about that. So hopefully that was a good sort of jumping off point for them. A good yes. Yeah. Because like I say, there's you know, if you, there's so much. It's it was such a years of day story. to day to day investigations. Yeah. And they were zigzagging across the country, following that money, following that money. Stop, fun. Stop trying to convince me. It's walking fun. to the garage. <laughs> yeah, that's walking crazy. back from the garage. Walking moving the pop plan around. Oh, walking back from the garage. Imagine after he hasn't trained for two hours. That's a five-hour journey now. Mm. I should say, I'm pretty sure during it he moved to be closer to the garage. <laughs> that makes more. That makes sense. Yeah. Don't change, choose a different garage. He moved to be above. Move, yeah. He moved above the garage. <laughs> he bought one of those storage things in the garage <laughs> and he lived in there. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that brings us to everyone's favourite part of the show, uh, the fact, quote, or question <laughs> section, which I think has a jingle that goes something like this. Fact, quote, or question. Uh, he always remembers the ding. I, not- did the, I did this part of the show by myself for last week's episode and I had to do the preamble of setting it up that I believe it has a little jingle and then I had to sing it and then I had to do the ding. And I was like, this this is so much work. Yeah, I did it all the week before oh. and I was losing my mind. I was sitting in bed down in Tassie after having a few beers the night before and I like, I ne- it was one take obviously. Yeah. And I reckon I lost my mind during I hated it. Did I you? Felt, I felt like things weren't right. I've never missed you guys more. <laughs> did you do the Trip Ditch Club? Yes. Did you hype them up and I then also- I, just, I and then, did it all. <laughs> and then I, hyped yourself? I did it all, yeah. <laughs> no. I did every uh, single bit. Yeah. I got a list. Absolutely lost I my I drew head. the line. Okay. I drew I the line. I, I was like, I can't, I couldn't possibly do it. I didn't want them to feel like they'd been ripped off. I know, but I said, if you felt ripped off- Oh, great. T- send us an email. If you care about this and if and, this is something really important to you, should. let us know. <laughs> you really should. Did they let you know? Nobody has. Well, that makes me feel absolutely redundant. <laughs> yeah. And Dave, we've been saying that for years. <laughs> well, the hype man- is an essential part. Yes, of the show. I am. The, I am the hype man for you. Mm. Yeah, but, but I'm you, the essential bit. Who are you hyping if I'm not here? Oh, <laughs> exactly. And oh, you no. prove that by not having anyone to hype last week. Mm. All right. Well, let's do some facts, some quotes, and some. Yeah. Quotes. So you can get involved in this by going to Patreon.com/slash/dogonpod. <laughs> yeah, or, this is very bizarre if you've never heard it before. Or you can go to dogoonpod.com, um, and it's all explained there. And you get involved at the Sydney Schomburg Deluxe Memorial Edition Rest in Peace level, and then you can get involved with all sorts of rewards at different levels. I mean, get on there and you'll see. But It explains uh, it pretty well. But, but we're talking three bonus episodes. You can be in the Facebook group. You get pre-sale tickets to live streams and uh, also live shows. You also get little discounts. Your weekly newsletter. 
uh, on some of the higher things, we get a monthly video message. Uh, there's all sorts of things, depending on where you are on level. The Sydney Schomburg one is one of the higher ones. You get nearly all that stuff from the video message. But you also get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question. Uh, you also get to give yourself a title. This week, uh, Sasha Einstadt has given herself the title of Animal Wrangler and has offered up a quote. And Sasha's quote is a reporter. Did you visit the Parthenon during your trip to Greece? Shaquille O'Neal. I can't really remember the names of the clubs that we went to. What's one of his nicknames? Uh, Shaq Fu. Shaq Fu. <laughs> so Shaq funny. Fu, you've done it again. <laughs> That's so good. Here comes the shack attack. Shack attack. That's a that's a fun quote. <laughs> I don't remember the names of the clubs. The Parthenon. Very good stuff. I can't tell if he's in on that or not. He's uh, a funny guy. He's a very funny guy. Yeah, yeah I reckon he's in on that for sure. Uh, thank you so much, Sasha. Great quote. Um, I don't read these, so I read them. So when I slightly butcher it like I did then, that's not my fault. No, that's not your fault. I mean, I've just done a whole episode of slightly butchering my own report, so. That's just your eyes not communicating with your brain. That's not your fault. Not my fault. It's my eyes and my brain. Yeah. Take it, tell it to them. Take it upstairs. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Oh. It's all the way at the top. This, yeah. This problem. Oh, do you think I'm involved with those guys? I mean, my eyes have worked with me sometimes, sure. Sure. But my eyes have looked at a lot of things. My eyes work with a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one's from Paul McNally. Maybe I wonder if you have any relation to Rand. Rand McNally. <laughs> and Paul, uh, Paul's title is Official Environmental Disaster Assessor of the Dugoon Report Universe. Bracket. Still working through the Halifax explosion. Holy moly. That's big. That's big work. Yeah. Sorry about that, Paul. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you've been paid all right. Yeah, a lot of cleanup. Uh, Paul asks a question. Here is his question. This question is specifically for Matt. Sorry, Jess and Dave. Oh, great. I'll sit this one out. I'm going to have a nap. Matt, can you please say thank you to my fellow Patreon and now brother-in-law, Ian Ma, as in Ray Ma, you were correct. (laughs) How did he know? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, uh, For the congrats video he got, you to do for myself and my wife. It was great. Very loose and very fun. I did a cameo video for welcoming him into the family, Ian Ma. And uh, what a funny way to thank me. Uh, <laughs> wait, what's the question? Oh, this is good. That's... The question is, can you? Oh, can you please say thank you to my fellow? Oh, yes. Okay. And the answer is no. <laughs> I've been so confused Absolutely not. <laughs> so, next. <laughs> so that's How so- funny that I, uh, that absolutely confused me. All of a sudden, I thought I was talking to Ian Maher. But no, they, this is from Paul McNally. Yes. Paul wants me to thank Ian Ma. Ian Ma, thank you so much. Because Ian welcomed Paul into the family. Yes. Through you. That's very nice. Do they talk exclusively through you yeah, now? Yeah, you should like- maybe learn to communicate, my bro. <laughs> I love it. I think it's so funny. Can you ask Ian to pass the salt? <laughs> but, like, there's a time difference, so Paul's really gone without salt for a long time. I love it. I love it. That they talked exclusively through Patreon and Cameo shoutouts. <laughs> uh, great work, Paul. Thank you very much. And, obviously, great work, Ian Ma. Uh, next one comes from Kevin Vincent who has given himself the title of Chief Engineer for Do Go On Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Doing God's work there. Uh, 
Kevin has offered us. <laughs> Kevin has offered us a fact. Jess and Dave are laughing because so, they're doing weird body language. That's very funny. I did a silent little clap because that made me laugh so much, and then Jess imitated my clap. I put my like the bottom You're of my clapping your wrist. Clapping my wrist. Together. You can't hear this. <laughs> Well done. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so Kevin's given us a fact, and his fact is the Square Kilometre Array, or oh, SKA, radio telescope being built in Western Australia is so sensitive it could detect an airport radar, radar at a distance of 10 light years. 10 light years covers 10 to 12 stars. Whoa. That's big. I reckon I have a funny feeling that because uh, you shorten square kilometre array to SCAR, I reckon that might be where that fact came from. Hmm. But I really be My favourite. <laughs> my favourite music, SCAR. Favourite. Is, <laughs> it... <laughs> is that also your favourite radio telescope? Yes. That's... um. Uh... I, that, those That's kind very, of facts I can never get my head around. Yeah, I don't I don't understand that at all, but that sounds amazing. It's and, a long, long way that it can detect a little signal. And Kevin, you're obvi- I think he's, I'm guessing he works in that field. So um, great, great work. Great work. Like I said, don't go to work. Um, <laughs> Keep watching the skis. <laughs> I mean, skies. <laughs> this final one comes from Zach Dobrin, who is the president of Reminders for the day one quote. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Day one. Day what, one. Who knows what you were talking about when you said it? <laughs> some, there were some listeners who seemed to think they it made sense. They are obviously <laughs> off their rocker. Well. You didn't know. Yeah, that was Day the amazing one. thing. They were like, Day I knew one. where you were going with that. Oh, Did you? Where was I going with that? <laughs> I can't even remember what that episode was. No, now. me either. Uh, Zach Dobrin has a question. What is one cultural slash social norm in the world that you would change if you could and why? Oh, that's a Dave, hard one. Dave, clapping with wrists? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the people not clapping with wrists. <laughs> oh, that's really Oh, tough. okay. Uh, them insisting they have to wash your hair at the hairdressers. Do not like that. Oh, I love um, I love getting my do hair Do not like, like that. like a head massage. I think it should be optional. Okay. A lot of places it doesn't seem optional. <laughs> feels weird if I say, please don't touch me. <laughs> I've got a, I got a weird one and uh, people make fun of me for this, but I would stop. People blowing out candles on birthday cakes. Oh, because it's a bit gross. Yeah. I agree. More so now with, you know, COVID yeah. type stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but you think blow, you're, 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 you're an early adopter. You know you're blowing spittle onto <clears throat> the cake and they're going to want some? Especially a child. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it should be like a certain age. It takes like, to. Some, sometimes they're taking, what, 10, and they're literally 11 going dozen goes <laughs> yeah. to do it because they don't know how to blow air yet. No. Yeah. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. No, I, can... I thought I was really expecting you to turn on me there. So oh, okay. The board. birthday Grinch is here. <laughs> oh, bloody. That's what, I think that's, I do feel a bit like that as well. I like to lick my fingers and put them out like that. I like to lick my fingers and rub it on top of the cake. I finger the cake. Well, not blow on it, but I'll finger it. How do you... Are you so staunch about that that you will not eat a cake that's had I don't blown tend out? to eat cake that much anyway, but yeah, I pretty much won't eat those cakes. It makes it an easy decision. What if it looks fucking good? Oh, it'd be tricky. Yeah. And yeah, it depends on where I am at, in my head. More cake for me. <laughs> but I, Yeah, but I agree that if it's something that you could silently change, yeah, if, but for if, me, the hairdresser thing, yeah. I'd love that. Just make the, either you get the candles, it's a bit of fun blowing out the candles. Maybe there could be like a birthday candle stick. 
and it's it's a separate tradition where people go and blow out a candle. Well, I mean, that sounds... Hey, we'll keep the fun. That sounds joyful. <laughs> <laughs> kids will love it. Hey, kids, go get the stick. It's time to blow out the stick. <laughs> and then they can go... <laughs> That's the this. best of both worlds. <laughs> or you're known as like the birthday Grinch. They before the, they light the candles, they cut out a small segment, put it in a bowl, and you're holding it. You've got like a piece of glad rubber over the top of it. <laughs> and then Standing they go, All right, suit. right now, little Jesse, now you can blow out your cake. <laughs> All right, Jess, do you have an, an idea for no, something? No, I can't think of anything. I think I must just be incredibly easygoing. Yeah, you just love. I love everyone tradition. and everything. I don't care about spit. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, you know, it, like most people would say, it doesn't really hurt anyone. It's just meant that some people have had colds that they didn't need to yeah, get. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think you're right on that one, but I can't think of anything. Hmm. Good examples, though. But no, I can't think of anything. Nothing. I reckon there's, I've heard people talking about um, getting rid of handshakes for good and hugs with yeah. people, unless you're real close or yeah, even all together. I don't always like... Um, like, you'll meet someone for the first time and they'll go for the hug. I'm like, I don't fucking know you. Well, they're going for the cheek kiss. Yeah. I don't really like that. Yeah. I only like that with people I really know. And their cheeks. And even admire. then, <laughs> go for my mouth. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if, I, if you're going to kiss. Don't. Let's yeah. not waste this. But I know you incredibly well and I would hug you, but I've never kissed you on the cheek. Mm, I think No, I think a hug is more than that. I, I agree with you that it shouldn't be just given away to a stranger. I yeah. think the kiss on the cheek is an old That's school a, thing, right? We don't right? do it really, yeah. That's an Arnie's thing. Mm. Yeah. I definitely hated it as a kid. Every yeah. family gathering, like it would- you know, the kisses, the handshakes, I'd be like, oh. Yeah, it might be dying out. Maybe but it's, it can be a little bit, um, I don't know, I find it really annoying when you'll meet, you'll meet someone for the first time and they'll shake everyone's hands and then kiss the lady. Oh, I'm like, yeah. shake my fucking hand. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You're allowed to shake women's hands. Yeah. That's Just shake my hand and say, nice to meet you. I don't want to hug you. You're a stranger. I don't want you to kiss me on the cheek. Yeah, it's obviously that's that's just like a taught a taught thing. But yeah, you I wouldn't. I would not do. I shake everyone's hand. hands. Yeah, yeah I definitely. You can do, do that. It. It's fine. We have hands. But I, I, it's funny because I know some people like Josh L. I'm sure I've heard him say that he he's, he'll never go back to shaking hands again. He never really liked it anyway. Mm. Any of that stuff. But I always, I don't know, for some reason, the shaking hands doesn't really matter. Even though that would be equally mm. trans, uh, yeah, trans, trans, mm. transporting. Let's mm-hmm. say. Uh, I um. Germs. What about? <laughs> Can we say that? <laughs> Can we say germs? Thinking of, of sharing. What about the convention of people that sometimes you'll have one flavor of chip in a bowl and we'll get down to a certain level, oh, then they'll no. top it up with another no. flavor. Oh, you are a fucking no. psychopath! Never. I would make that illegal if you I could. You finish those chips. What the fuck? Or if it's just like crumbs and nobody's touched them for ages. Clean out that tip, fucking tip bowl. Tip I, don't want, well. I don't want Doritos mixed with salt and vinegar chips. What are you, what are you doing? doing? Yes. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not weed in this, but that's people bad. do I mean, it. that's an extreme, but I was even thinking like light and tangy yeah. and salt and vinegar. Yeah, people the do same. it. Like, 
Yeah. Part. I want to yeah. know what I'm getting. You're going Doritos to fucking S and V. Oh, yeah, I went crazy. for an extreme example to win you over to my side, but you obviously didn't need I was, any I was winning. Already on side. That's ridiculous. We should move. Oh, thank you so much for the question. What a fantastic question that was. That really kicked off some heated debate. <laughs> That's thank right. You very much, no, Zach. fuck you. Thanks, Kevin, Paul, and Sasha as well for their quotes and questions and facts. We got one of each today, which is nice. Love that. Uh, but we also like to thank a few of our other patrons. We normally do it uh, based on a little game somehow to do with the episode we just had. Jess, any thoughts today? Well, uh, something we said a lot today is it went all the way to the top. All the way to the top. And I want to know... Which it did in the end. It really it did. did. It truly did. So it was baffling for a long time for me. I was like, <laughs> what does he mean? What's he getting at? Um, so this time the, the top was a president. So now I want to know... And there was also a foggy bottom. Foggy so. bottom. So is that any, is that any, from the anything. foggy bottom to the president? I don't think that's anything. going all the way down to the foggy bottom. I don't think that's anything. But thank you for reminding Wait, it me. It started that. from the foggy bottom, and it made it to the top, all the way to the top. I think that's almost something. The whole thing started at the foggy bottom, and it made it all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. I think that's something. Mm-hmm. Should we get what, t-shirts made? Yes. What's your idea? <laughs> of like, what? Who's at the top? So, we, like. I don't know how to explain what I mean. Great, let's just go with an example. <laughs> All right, you do the first one. Okay. And then we'll understand what you mean. So if I could kick it off, I'd love to thank from Stourbridge in England, Claire Johnson. And Claire Johnson is, uh, uh, she's investigating something and it's going all the way to the top, Santa Claus. Oh, man, he knows some stuff. Okay, no, I I, I still didn't get it, but like Santa, Claus is, Santa Claus is Nixon the Nixon in this case. Exactly yes. right, yes. So this goes, the elves, a few elves have yep. been caught. Yeah. But this one actually goes. And for a long time they're like, the well, I don't know what these elves are, how these elves are acting this way, but yeah. Santa told them. Yeah. Ho, 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 I am not a crook. <laughs> Okay. Yes, you, you are. We have to do an impression of each of them. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Great. Love it. Ho, ho, ho. No, no, no comment. <laughs> I would have just gone, ho, ho, no comment. Yeah. Just no, no, no comment would have. Could we edit that? Could that be edited? I mean, down? that's entirely up to you. I'm editing this week's episode, <laughs> and I think that people might find that all of that remains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not by choice. All right. So I'd also love to thank from Banstead in Surrey. In Great Britain, William Townsend. Oh, I think it goes all the way to the top, and by that I mean Greg from the Wiggles. Oh, stinky right. Greg! Well, the front man. Bloody Greg. That's interesting because from the outside in, it always seems like the blue Wiggles the top. Yeah, you'd think that. He wants you to think that. But yellow is 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 the puppet people behind the scenes. Exactly. Yeah, he's <laughs> one of the puppet people. He's one of the puppet people. Puppet people. <laughs> Wow, William Townsend. So he, uh, oh, What's uh, happening? Wake up, Jeff. I am not a crook, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. And, and William Townsend is involved somehow in this. Or is he he's, cracked it He's open? cracked it wide open. Oh, he's cracked it He's wide been open. watching the Wiggles for years and he's like, hang on a second. I'm loving mm. that phrase, cracked it wide open. Oh, I said it to you guys. I was saying, without you knowing what the topic was, I was saying I was finding it hard to write the report. It was so dense. I didn't know how to get into it. And then I sent you a message late last night. I said, I think I've cracked it wide open. Yeah, that's right. It makes complete sense now. Yeah, now you're Having no idea what you were talking about. Um, William Townsend, well done. Great work cracking uh, Greg open, wide open. And finally, I'd love to thank from Granock or Greenock in Inverclyde in Great Britain, Scott Coventry. Scott Coventry, obviously, goes all the way to the top. 
To Her Majesty the Queen. Oh, no. She's in on it. Yeah. Oh, no. But he's broken it open. I have a funny... That that name did sound Scottish-like. And I reckon I reckon a Scot would love. Yeah, you take you take that, wouldn't you? It would be pretty stoked. Bring it down the Queen. It is in Scotland. Mm. Yeah. No, I am not a crook. <laughs> They're great, yeah. No. T. <laughs> I'm not a crook. You say it to the the investigators who were there. No, I'm not a crook. T. <laughs> it definitely has something to do with the corgis as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the corgis, yeah, something like... Puppy sh- farm. They like shat <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Buckingham Palace is a puppy, puppy farm, farm for corgis. One of the corgis shits out some poppy seeds, and at first it seems like... Wait, what did you say? <laughs> I thought you meant like... Uh, puppy like, farm. Uh, like like uh, a baby cocaine. dog. What does poppy... What do poppies make? Heroin or coke? Heroin. 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 <laughs> Oh, mosey on here. <laughs> you like, oh, and Jess's look at you when you said, all right, one of them eats up, shits out a puppy, a poppy seed. And she, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, yeah. where's he going with this? No, she's selling black market puppies. Oh, wow. Jeez, you would, yeah, that's surprising. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, money's tight. Yeah, money talks. Follow it. Follow the money. Follow the money. Okay, now I get that that's a fun fact. Okay, thank I'm, God. I'm lying. That's a still oh, a boring no. fact. All right, who's going next? Thanks, Scott. Me. Thanks, William. Thanks, Claire. I would love to go. I would love to thank from Daventry. Ooh. Ooh also charmed, I'm sure. <laughs> I would love to thank Louis Williams. Louis Williams, all right, all the way to the top. <sighs> Could also be Louis, but it's probably, I don't know. We're talking... Uh, all the way to the top, Gil McLaughlin. No. No. Yeah. Head of the AFL. Uh, you are joking. And I, I mean, you know, I would not be all that surprised <laughs> if something was found out that went all the way to the top there. Yep. He was involved in one of those au pair scandals, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, there's always an au pair scandal. Allegedly. 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 I mean, but what I love what Louis done there is, as a, an Englishman, come in. Yeah. Gil has no idea yeah. that he knows who he even is. Yeah. But he's come in possibly as an au pair. Yeah. Because the au pair scandal, if you don't know, it wasn't like they weren't trading au pairs or anything. It was they they used their influence to get a visa. Yeah, they got a visa pair. through to, you know, call up. Just uh, relevant ministers and stuff like that. But Louis, he's cracked it wide open. Whoa, the au pair scandal. You don't see an Englishman coming for the AFL and, head. And what, what, what's the saying here? Uh, oh, hang on. Uh, <laughs> goal, six points. I'm not a crook. <laughs> goal, six points. I'm That's not what a I crook. say. Goal, six points. <laughs> Couldn't think of it. What's a football phrase? Goal, yeah, goal six points. Yeah, Thank goal, you. six Thank points. You. Everyone yeah. says that all the time. Goal, six points. I say, oh, come on, come on, Dusty. Give your goal six points. Give your goal six points. <laughs> goal six points, they chant. And that's definitely what Gil McLaughlin, the uh, yes. head of the AFL, he's also a goal umpire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so far. Sorry, Matt, he's a goal six points umpire. Goal six points umpire. <laughs> Just because you might not know that if you get a goal, you get six points. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would also love to thank from Greensboro in North Carolina. Ooh, where the fire engines are blue. <laughs> God, it's a nice short fact now. <laughs> thank God. I would love to thank Tomahawk Eastridge. Wow. 
Strong name. That's a great Tomahawk, Tomahawk East Street. One of Mike Patton's bands. Uh, Mike Patton's record label maybe goes all the way to the top there. What do you oh, think? wow. Uh, I've never said it out loud. Ipecac. Is that how you say it? Ipecac? Ipecac, I think. Ipecac. I'm wow. Right. And Mike Patton, uh, this is it. I'm not a crook. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. He's getting Thank better you. and better, honestly. That, honestly, it was very difficult to do an impression of Gil McLaughlin, so I'm glad we brought it back to someone who vaguely I know what they sound like. Yeah, and also we did a past topic of the show. Well, so was AFL. That's right. That's right. We didn't talk about enough about and the And the Queen. Yes. Yes. Who well, did the Queen? I did very early on, uh, over five years ago. Fucking hell. Good that I have no idea then. And you talked about because I watched The Crown this season. One of the episodes was dedicated to that guy who broke in. Oh, yes. I just watched that. Oh. It's a good app. I was sad Does to say it? Was, it was fairly fictionalized because he, yes, the he scene, got quite a diatribe off. I'm like, yeah. did this happen? Yeah, the scene between them was really good, yeah. but- not yeah. accurate. Yeah, it was it was Netflix. Um, and finally, for me, I'd love to thank from Dublin, in Dublin, in Ooh. Ireland. <gasps> I would love to thank Connor <laughs> Tyrell Tyrell. Connor Tyrell Tyrell it goes all the way to the top, and there's only one Irish person that it goes all the way to the top. Oh too. no, don't do it. You better believe don't it. piss off Connor. <laughs> yeah, it goes all the way. Connor's a big sportsman. Pick an Irish sports star. <sighs> Who are you talking to? Um, okay. <laughs> Let me think if I can think of one. Uh, Owen Morgan. Owen Morgan, the cricketer. The cricketer. That's the only. Who would you have said for an Irish sports star? No, that's a, that's a good one. I would have said uh, St. Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, he, didn't he play polo or something? Surely at some point, St. Patrick. St. Patrick. There you go. St. Patrick. Ty Canelli, uh, maybe. Oh, Jim yeah. Steins. These are all Australian. Oh, okay. Irish. Right. Even m- m- the one I named plays in- cricket for England. Okay. Let's go with St. Patrick. Saint, it goes all the way to St. Patrick. Who sounds like... Woo! I'm wasted on St. Patrick's Day. I'm not a crook. Man, you can you know he's telling the truth because he's wasted. Yeah. Yes. I think that does say... That says a lot about it, doesn't it? So thank you so much to Connor Tyrrell there. On your Connor. I would like to thank from uh, Barrow in Finesse. Cumbria, Great Britain, fantastic there. Jack Hall. Jack Hall, that's a name you can set your watch to. Yeah, Jack Hall. Four and four. Jack Hall. Jack Hall. <gasps> um, uh, Jack Hall from where? Cumbria. Don't know anything about it. What's Cumbria? Tell me about Cumbria, Dave. Uh, Barrow Inverness is there. Okay. Jack lives there. <gasps> oh, Jack Daniels. Yeah. It goes all the way to the top. Jack. Jack Daniels. Nice. Yeah. Like all the top, top of, of what? Tennessee bourbon industry. Oh, wow. So Tennessee whiskey? Yeah. Yeah, whiskey. No. I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah, bourbon that's whiskey. And that and what is it? Is it old number 49? Is that the number? What's the number? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the certain recipe, isn't it? Uh, uh, old number seven. Old number seven. Oh, I don't know. Seven sevens are 49. All right, whatever. Uh <laughs> Oh. And I drink seven bottles a night. Yeah, old number seven. It's the top-selling American whiskey in the world. Oh, and I'm not a crook. Thank Perfect. You. Perfection. Thank you, Jack Hall. Hey, you mean more than Jack Hall to us. Beautiful. I would like to thank another one from Dublin in Dublin, Claire Mulhall. Uh, Claire Mulhall, another Dubliner. What about it goes all the way to the top and above the top? 
I'm talking about the edge. Whoa! You think Bono's calling the shots? He no, ain't. No, it's no, all about no. the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mm-hmm. edge. Mm-hmm. Real name? Something like Greg Partridge or something. Oh, it was Greg Edge. Greg Edge. Greg Edge. <laughs> Greg Edge. <laughs> Sean Greg Edge. Dan Ed. Oh, I'm Greg Edge. Uh, play the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting on an accent here. Actually, I'm Irish. I'm Irish. I'm Irish. Oh, and not Greg a crook. Edge. How did he say that? I'm not uh, a crook. I'm Greg Edge. I'm not a crook. <laughs> oh, that's good. But I thought he'd speak like, like this. I'd like you too. I thought he let his guitar do the talking. Yeah. For example. Yeah. For example. Uh, Claire Mullell, <laughs> thank a, you so much. Yeah, that was a perfect example too. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and finally for this week, I would like to thank from Manchester in the greatest of Britons, Juliet Curran. Juliet Curran. Shakespeare. Oh. oh it goes all, all the way, way to the top. Shakespeare. <laughs> so <laughs> take that. That's, right. Wow. So is that sort of the top of the you know theatre? Is oh, he the, sort of the head of theatre? Yes, he's the head of theatre. Wow. Bloody hell. And it goes all the way back to him. Yes. So now is the winter of our discontent. I am not a crook. Perfect. Thou Thank you. is not a th- crooketh. Thou shalt not a crooketh. <laughs> Well, that just brings us to the end of uh, that section of the Patreon shoutouts. Thank you to everyone that does support us on Patreon. And, uh, Matt, there's only one thing left to do before we boot this baby home. Well, that's uh, to get into the Triptych Club, see who we've got to welcome in this week. And we have a few inductees. The way the Triptych Club works is if you are signed up to support us uh, on the shout-out level or above for three-plus years, you get inducted into the Triptych Club, a beautiful club. Uh, where we've really been curating a sweet vibe in here for, yeah. for a little while now. Uh, I'm on the door with the checklist. I've got the, the door list here on mm-hmm. a clipboard. Jess is putting together some hors d'oeuvres, some cocktails. Yep. Dave's booked a band. Who have you booked this week, Dave? Uh, we've got Westlife. Okay. Wow. Irish boy band? Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, is that Ronan Keating's band? Yes. Yep. yep. Oh, oh him and there's so also the other Boy Town? Boy Zone? Boy Zone, yeah, which is Westlife. <laughs> mm. Westlife. Yeah, Westlife, best life. The other one's Brian McFadden, right? Holy shit. Would you believe the first person to be inducted this week? Before we induct him though, uh Jess, what are you serving here today? Westlife is Brian McFadden. Um, okay, fantastic. I love it. And uh their great song, uh Swear It Again. Uh, this week, in honour of the topic, Watergate, we are serving water. <laughs> <laughs> you are shitting me. No, people have been asking for a while, but it didn't feel appropriate, and today's the day. We can actually serve water now. Whoa. As for food, I have pulled down a gate um, from out the front. It's a little wooden gate. So, wooden. everyone, just help yourself to bits of wood. Yum. Love wood. <laughs> yep. All right. <laughs> I mean, all the other all the other food is still up, and other bands. Why are they do you still need playing? more food? I've got. I mean, bits this of is water. the worst combination of oh, music, on. food, and drink. Come for on, mate! I got water and wood for you. What do you want? The fucking me? Brian McFadden, mate. What do you want? I'm so sorry. Sorry, we couldn't get Ronan please. Keating. We'll get him next week. Brian McFadden went out with Delta Goodrum for ages. He's like, we got him. Well, shit, shit. <laughs> 
cost per mile. I know. Here we go. Here we go. All right. I'm going to hype. Yeah, we're hyped. We're the way it works is what we're talking about before. Talk. I'll hype up these people and I it was, just will hype me up. I was looking ahead. Uh, there's a Ronan coming up, but he's not here today. Who have we got today? Firstly, we've got three, Dave. Okay. Oh, God. So start strong, end strong, please, and middle strong. Oh, yeah, brilliant. strong. <laughs> Uh, from Mayfield Heights in Ohio, God's country, it's Nicholas Gilbert. Oh, I'm, I pronounce you not Gilbert. Yes, not guilty. Yeah. It's a pun. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks. For, sometimes I need just to explain it, otherwise it doesn't make any sense. I, feel, I might have forgot to explain that uh, Dave hypes them up as they come in, enter the, the club, and then Jess hypes up yeah, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get some work. momentum. Yeah, all right. Second up from Hewenville in Tasmania. Got absolutely beautiful country. Down there, it's Zach Llewellyn. <laughs> Zach, attack Llewellyn. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Zach, middle name, attack Llewellyn. Yeah. Comma, yeah, thank you, thank you so much. You're really and carrying this segment. Finally, from Medford in Oregon in the United States, it's Connor Smith. Well, let's put this to Medford. Connor yeah, Smith. put yeah. it to bed. Put it to bed. Was there not four? No, it's just three. the three. Three. You did three it. of the best. You did it. Start strong, end strong. Middle wasn't that great, but I feel like, feel like we brought it home. Yes, absolutely, yes. Put it to Medford, yes. Oh, my throat is hoarse from all that hyping. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Jess, you can rest those golden tonsils uh, <laughs> for the night for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever you're doing. Thank you so much. Um, because that is the end. Uh, if people want to find us, they can find us at Dugong Pod on all the major things, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at gmail.com. Dot com for our website, patreon.com slash do go on pod. We're available in all these places. Please get in contact if you want to. Uh, support us at Patreon on all sorts of levels. You can, different rewards depending on where you are. Patreon.com slash do go on pod. Thanks so much to all our supporters. I really do mean that very much. Mm. Now, Dave, boot this baby home. Well, thank you so much for listening. And until next week, I'll say thank you and goodbye. Later. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.